At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, warmer from below. Welcome to Love You Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you today as we're going to be joined in segment number two by Tristan Freeman. He does such good work over at Bustin' Brackets. We're going to be taking a little bit of a look at what we've all been getting in the ACC thus far this season. We're going to be taking a look at some of the dynamics to take note of with regards to conference play as opposed to non-conference play as well. And then on top of that, we're going to get a few teams that he's a little bit bullish slash bearish on as well. We'll be taking a look at a few games for Wednesday and also going to be taking a little bit of a look at the Atlantic 10 because he is based out there in the Pittsburgh area. So going to get his thoughts on Duquesne, their matchup against UMass and how the Atlantic 10 only really has one or two teams that are up for at-large bids right now, but has just been a pretty rock-solid conference in general. So we're going to be talking about that in segment number two in the final segment. Going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do you have one or two ways to be able to fire those in? First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at JNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really didn't get in a lot of Twitter slash X questions today, but we had a fun day of college basketball on Tuesday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Now, I do have to do this at right around 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern, because the Greg Peterson experience on VEASAN, that is from midnight to 3 Eastern time, so do I have to record this a little bit in advance. So if we do see something unforeseen with regards to that, like New Mexico versus Colorado State game, if we see something airbrain happen in the second half of Illinois versus Northwestern, which is right now blowout with Illinois really taking it to Northwestern 46-29. to No TJ Shannon, no problem right now for Illinois as they've been able to completely dominate on the glass. They've done a nice job with Marcus Stomas chipping in their 15 points. I will clean that up on the podcast tomorrow. But taking a look at 
Well, we all did get on Tuesday. It started off with a complete just drubbing. The Mountain West looking very strong right now. And Utah State now 13-1, to 60 They absolutely pound Air Force. And this is something that I've been talking about quite a bit the last few days. Take a look at some of these teams and the non-conference schedules that they're playing. Air Force came in with a relatively solid record. They had come on with some good defensive metrics, but they were playing against a bunch of teams and, well, they weren't necessarily doing the world's greatest job of being able to put the ball in the basket and guess who did? Utah State. They shoot just 4 of 12 from 3 point range, but inside the arc, this team went, I'm not even kidding here, 27 out of 37 from 2 point range. Great O support, 32 points, 9 rebounds, Air Force, they go 2 of 14 from 3 point range, so a very impressive win and a very impressive cover to kick off the day, which we always like to see those early AM games and a team that has been very far from impressive. They are not making you any money whatsoever. DePaul, I tweeted this out. DePaul, right now, a skid mark on the underpants of college basketball. Yes, I did use that dodgeball line. 85-56, to 56, UConn, with just an absolute butt-kicking of DePaul. As for DePaul, you did have Deshaun Nelson chip in there, 19 points, but team went 2 of 13 from 3 point range, pounded on the glass, 35-26. to 26. And keep in mind for UConn, they are doing this all with Donovan Klingon currently dealing with an injury. He did not play in this game, but Cam Spencer did. He chipped in there 20 points, went 4 of 7 from 3. UConn, 12 of 26 from the outside. This was thorough domination. UConn actually lost a turnover battle, 12 to 10, but this is a DePaul team that is just lost in the wilderness right now. 3-9-1 and against a spread, and that was just absolutely horrifying. The Tennessee team was having a rough time with their defense to begin the season. Looks like it's starting to pick up. They hold Norfolk's 8 to 50 points, 87 to 50 the final as for Tennessee they've now held each other last four opponents and five out of their last six to 70 points or fewer so looks like they're getting back into form as for Norfolk State a team I actually think could do something out there in the MEAC they allow Tennessee to go 12 of 33 from three-point range Zakai Ziegler has been a little bit more of a pass first guy took control in this one 17 big points Dalton connect he did connect for 15 points and for Tennessee, they win the rebound battle 37 to 30, and more importantly, they won the turnover battle 22 to 10. So that was rather impressive. Our DK network right up with Boston College being able to just pretty much get an outright win against Wake Forest. I had to write a plus two because no money line was available, but that said, Wake Forest, they downed that 84 to 78, just ran into a Wake Forest team that was hot on this night. 12 of 13 at the free line, 10 of 21 from three, 31 of 58 overall from the floor. As Boston College wins the turnover battle, they win the offensive rebound battle as well, but they just couldn't sink those shots. As Quentin Post did all that he could, he had 20 points in this one, and you did have 15 points, 9 rebounds out of Devin McLaughlin as well, but for Wake Forest, how about 13 points, 14 rebounds out of Efton Reed? Another one of those two-time transfers that was ineligible towards the beginning part of the season. He came up big, and Austin Carr, he hit 1-3 in this game, and it was with his team up one with about 12 seconds remaining, so he came up very, very big there, and it's a Wake Forest team that's been able to do a relatively solid job in terms of being able to cover the spread, 8-5 and five against the spread for them right now, and North Carolina is now above 500 against the spread. We're going to be talking about this with our good friend Tristan for Pittsburgh. They've really beaten up on bad competition, but in these step-up games, they've had an issue. Pittsburgh, they lose 70-57 to to a North Carolina team that held them to 5-29 three-point shooting. North Carolina's forte is not on defense. It is very much on glass, and you saw Armando Bacote 
have a double-double, 16 points, 10 rebounds, but it was really Harrison Ingram that did a good job down low. 15 rebounds. North Carolina wins the rebound battle by count of 51 to 41 for Pittsburgh. Just eight turnovers in this one as Carlton Carrington did his part with 20 points, but Blake Kinson, 11 points. They needed a little bit more out of him, and for North Carolina, they did a very good job holding up with their defense. That allows them to be able to get a convincing win. Creighton has fallen on some tough times recently, but they got a get-right spot against Georgetown, and they took him down by a count of 77 to 60 for Georgetown. They do go 7 of 19 from three-point with just six turnovers. Creighton, they turned the ball over 14 times, but for Creighton, talk about a dismantling on the glass. They win this battle by a count of 42 to 21. As a matter of fact, Baylor Shireman and Ryan Kalkbrenner by themselves had a combined 21 rebounds. Trey Alexander, 11 of 17 from the floor with 25 points. Creighton only goes 8 of 25 from three-point range, and that's the key for this Creighton team. They've been having a lot of instances where they've been a little bit cold from the floor, and that has resulted in them just having some really, really bad offensive nights. Now, this is a Georgetown team that is not necessarily what they have been in the past, but a good showing from Creighton and a good way for them to be able to get up off the mat. Right now, one of the year most disappointing teams at all of college basketball against the spread has been Ohio. As we saw a lot of craziness in action. Ohio as a point and a half favorite. They lose to Toledo by a count of 86-77. As for Ohio, 8-25 from three-point range. They haven't been able to get a few guys back in the fold as they're working back Miles Brown, but he only had two points in this game. And for Toledo, it was all about what you were able to get out of your duo of Dante Maddox along for Heem Moss. 18 points apiece. It's an Ohio team that really has been struggling thus far this season now at 6-7, and seven, so that was a little bit unsightly. And Buffalo certainly has been one of your lesser teams in all of college basketball, but they rose up against Central Michigan, and Central Michigan now 4-8 and eight against the spread. 76-64 the final. This was with Anquan Bolden Jr. I love his father. Was one of my favorite wide receivers back in the day. Only putting in there two points as Genevia Smith. 12 points, 15 rebounds for Central Michigan. A paltry 3 of 23 from 3 par range. Anthony Pritchard did have 19 points, 5 seals in. For Central Michigan, they win the turnover battle 18-8. to They do get destroyed on the glass, but man, 3 of 23 from 3-point range, yeah, that was very costly to them. Harvard has been dealing with quite a few injuries. They were able to take down Albany, and they were able to cover the spread of about 2.5 to 3, 76-71. You do want to be mindful of the injuries with this Harvard team, as they've been without Justice Asia Bohr, along with their top scorer, Malik Mack, but they were still able to get it done in this one with them being able to have Luis Lesman pop off for 16 points, and Chisholm Opara, why he came off the bench, I have no idea, but 22 big points out of him, and for Albany, just 4 of 21 from 3-point range, so they certainly had their struggles there. We've been seeing quite a bit of craziness with regards to this Akron Zips team as well, and against Northern Illinois, one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball, completely crushed them. 73-51, to Enrique Freeman, 21 points, 10 rebounds, entered in this game, leading all of college basketball in terms of rebounds per game, so that is actually going to go down a little bit, but they've been able to do a very rock-solid job, and that was another win for them, and then out there in the MAC, one of your top over teams at all of college basketball, well, they played another over. Kent State, 82-69, to they take down Ball State, the total was right around 142.5, Kent State has really cranked up their tempo, and for Chris Payton, he was able to do a very solid job of delivering the team to victory and a cover, 20 points, 6 boards for Kent State, 
They do a solid job playing even up in terms of the turnover battle. They win the rebound battle 35-28. to And then you were able to have Bashir Jihad for this Ball State team. Be able to go 3 of 6 from 3, 23 points. Seems to go 6 of 18 from 3-point range. But Kent State really been playing quite a bit more up-tempo. They're playing with their hair on fire. And that was a very nice win and cover out of them. Meanwhile, you've got one of your top under teams entering Tuesday in a little bit of a nip and tuck as I record this as SMU currently up 32-24 to at the half. Again, Charlotte, this was a closing total of about 134.5 SMU, 9 unders to 3 overs entering into this game for Charlotte. This has been one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball in 12 out of their 24 points in the first half came from Lucille Patterson. So SMU, a top 20 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, looks like they're on their way with that one. And then we see it time and time again. Iowa, very good with their offense at home. On the road, not so much. And they hit the road against Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, they were able to get that old win and cover, 83-72. to Iowa actually took firm control of this game early on. And then Wisconsin was able to claw their way back. Tyler Wall, 19 points. He was able to chip in their eight boards. And Stephen Crawl, 14 points, 13 rebounds out of him. Wisconsin wins from within, winning that rebound battle by kind of 38-32 to for Wisconsin. They also force an Iowa team that does a good job protecting the ball into 14 turnovers. And Iowa, they lose this game despite going 7 of 17 from 3-point range because they only made 20 shots from inside the arc and they took 43 of them. So that was a little bit of an issue out of them. Iowa now 10-4 and to the over thus far this season and really in the Big Ten in general. We have been seeing quite a few teams become a little bit more overwhelming. Michigan is 11-2 to the over thus far this season. And this is a game that is not final, but it might as well should be Drake of 55-31 to 31 on Illinois State. Illinois State has been a little bit of a disappointment and I really do like what I'm seeing on this Drake team as of right now. And then Kansas State, they escape with their lives. They're able to get it done against Chicago State, 62-55. to 55. But Chicago State is spirited effort. By the way, Chicago State has to play tomorrow. So you're going to get a breakdown of Chicago State versus Oklahoma State as well. But for Chicago State, very spirited effort in this one. Wesley Cardet, 19 points. And for Kansas State, having some issues on offense. They go 3-14 of 14 from three-point range. They turn the ball for 13 times to Chicago State 7. Kansas State wins this game because they dominated on the boards. 45-22. to 22. As a matter of fact, David Ngesson along with Arthur Kaluma had a combined 22 rebounds, but for Kansas State, been a little bit all over the place for them. Looks like Baylor should be able to get a cover in this one against Cornell. Closing line was right around 15 and a half, so a little bit nip and tuck there. As for Baylor, they actually had a very long drought. There was a period where they went darn near six minutes without a point, but Baylor currently up 89-72. to 72. This was a closing number. There's a total right around about 169 and a half. Looks like it's going to be going over, but Baylor, as I'm doing this, 14 of 31 from three-point range, and Cornell just continues to play at that up-tempo, fun style in general. So we've got a lot going down in college basketball right now. We've got a lot of teams rising. We've got a lot of teams falling, but what has really been on the rise is these overs. In the last seven days in college basketball, with a few results pending from Tuesday, we have seen 107 overs to 79 unders. 57.5% of games going over, and home underdogs falling on some tough times. 19 and 21 against the spread over the last seven days with favorites just completely dominating. 103, 83, and 2 against the spread. That's a 55.4% hit rate. I do think that that's going to come 
back to earth a little bit. Meanwhile, overall for the season, overs are hitting at 51.3%. 1,094 overs, 1,039 unders. few pushes along the way. And home underdogs, 244, 240, and 10 against the spread thus far this season with favorites hitting at about 50 and a half percent. 1,073, 1,050, and 32 against the spread. So that's what we're seeing right now in college basketball and that's what we all got on Tuesday. Now let's take a look at the ACC landscape, the Atlantic 10 landscape, and what we're all getting in conference play with our good friend Tristan Freeman over at Bustin' Brackets. Also going to talk about some of the biggest disappointments in college basketball thus far this season as well. That's up next right here on Cusco Soups with myself, Greg Gibbs Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. (sighs) 
Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. And we're back here in Lobby Las Vegas with Jessica Suits with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it is always great to be joined by this fan. It's Tristan Freeman. He does such good work over at Boston Brackets, taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. I know that he's very eager for conference play to really get off and running in full force as we are seeing that right now. Tristan does such a good job of also following the teams out there in the ACC and the Pittsburgh areas. That's where he's based out of, and you're able to follow him on Twitter, slash X, at Hoopsnut351 altogether. And Tristan, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Greg. Appreciate it. Always appreciate you, Tristan. And Tristan, ACC play, it is now really off and running. Really got started on Tuesday. You had a few straight games in like late November, early December, but what are you expecting from ACC play? Because I just take a look at the conference and you still do have a few doldrum teams. I think that's very fair to say that Louisville and Florida State left a little bit of something to be desired when it came to non-conference play. But I feel like this conference is just in a better place than where they have been in past years. Even though Georgia Tech didn't necessarily win the uh, Diamond Egg Classic, they showed very well in that. And I feel like this conference in general picked up some really nice wins in December to put themselves a much better footing entering into conference play for these bubble teams. I think if you look at the top teams like Clemson, North Carolina, and if you even want to put Duke in there who's still ranked, I mean, those teams are in good shape. And for the most part, none of the projected bubble teams hurt themselves in not conference. There's a lack of bat losses overall. There's still some teams like Pittsburgh and Syracuse, and you mentioned Georgia Tech and NC State, who didn't necessarily get signature wins. So they're going to have to be careful navigating through league play and avoid the landmine trio of Florida State, Louisville, and Notre Dame. And I mean, quite frankly, Virginia already became a victim of them, so they're a team to watch as well. But I think the ACC is solid, and it also helps with some of the other leagues, like the Pac-12 and Big Ten have also had their issues. So I think if the goal is five to six bids, they're, they're still in line for that, but it also can go wrong in a hurry. Yeah, but it certainly can go wrong in a hurry. There still are a few landmines that these teams need to overcome, but all in all, I do think that a lot of these teams, they are in relatively good footing. We're going to be seeing quite a few of these conference games happening on Wednesday, and then we did see a few on Tuesday as well as we don't know how the North Carolina versus Pittsburgh game turned out as we do this podcast, but I know that we've talked about this Pittsburgh team quite a bit. It is one of the main teams on your beat. And how do you evaluate this Pittsburgh team going into conference play? Because we've talked about this a few times. I really do think that is the theme for Pittsburgh. They just need to go out there, 
get a few big wins on their resume because they have completely dominated the lesser competition and playing against North Carolina on Tuesday. Again, don't know the results of that, but if they were able to pick that up, that's a good start for them in terms of helping out that resume. But the fear with them has been not necessarily performing up to stuff in these step-up games against teams like Clemson and Florida. Yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, based on their performance in the past weekend, Oregon State is Pittsburgh's best win so far this season, considering that West Virginia sort of has their big struggles with all their roster situations. That's not a good place to be at the start of New Year, where we're, we're hoping Oregon State's good. And Pittsburgh, you know, the, the Syracuse game, they were up by eight at halftime, lose by 18 in the second half to fall by 10, and the Stars not playing well. You can't afford Henson and Leggett and, and Buff Carrington to be off. And Syracuse might not even be a tournament team themselves. That was a game they could have won that they let out the way. They're going to have to hold serve at home, and they're already 0-2 against power conference teams at home, losing to Clemson and Missouri. Depending on how this game against North Carolina goes, they can kind of smet themselves in the lower tier of the league where they can dominate lesser opponents because they can shoot the lights out at times. But if that three ball is not going for them, they're vulnerable to losing to anyone, especially these good teams like UNC. Yep, it is going to be so interesting to take a look at this Pittsburgh team moving forward because I do like the pieces. And Blake Henson is one of the best players in all of college basketball with his skill set. But at the same time, what are you going to be able to get around him? And can Carlton Carrington, who got off to such a great start to the season, be able to perform like that? in conference play as well as Tristan Freeman, who does absolutely exceptional work over at Boston Brackets, is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And Tristan, it felt like over the last week or so, there were a few upsets, no doubt about it. The Florida Atlantic loss to Florida Gulf Coast, that was a little bit of a shocker. But I do feel like in the last week or two, these teams, while they were going through Christmas break, while they were going through New Year's, all the holidays, they did a good job of not subbing their toes themselves because we were talking about the ACC avoiding a lot of landmines. We saw that all across college basketball. How do you think that is for the landscape of the sport? Just because I do think that it is good that a lot of these teams that they have been able to get off to these good starts and these teams that were highly projected going into the season, they were able to take care of business. And now I do think that it makes conference play all the more just pivotal for one. And two, it makes it all the more interesting when you do have all these conferences, Sands, the Pac-12, that have quite a few teams that have aspirations of making the Elite Eight and the Final Four when it comes to even the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, you're able to go down the list. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at the Pac-12 and they had their first weekend of, of league play, Colorado and Utah swept Washington and Washington State, two teams that look good in an on-con. They were able to hold serve at home, and, and that's just so important if you're going to have any shot of winning. Meanwhile, USC goes 0-2 and loses to Oregon State. I mean, that puts them in severe danger zone. So league play already is going to matter. But, you know, as a team like Arizona State showed, you can go down by nearly 20 points in both games and find a way to come back on the road. You know, conference play just in a zone with these teams fairly familiar with each other, well, at least the coaching staffs and players either struggling or playing well home or away. These results are already confusing. You're going to expect more of the same. And we still haven't even gotten to the Big 12 where there's a few teams that have really nice records, but not a lot of competition. And I can't wait for teams like BYU and Oklahoma and Cincinnati And even if you want to put Houston in there because they haven't played the greatest schedule either compared to other top teams, 
what's going to happen now that, you know, you can't just play all these easy home games or neutral site ones. You're going to have to go on the road and tough some out, and we're going to start to see which teams are for real and who isn't. Absolutely, and we'll hit that in a minute because I think that that's so big because Big 12 play really is not going to get started until Saturday. You've got the straight Wednesday game with Chicago State playing Oklahoma State as Chicago State is having to play the back-to-back, by the way, as they play against Kansas State and then they play against Oklahoma State, both on the road. That might be one of the toughest two-day road swings that I've seen in college basketball this year. So kudos to Chicago State for taking on that schedule. But you are bringing up USC, and I think that there's a great debate going on in college basketball right now. So who the most disappointing team in all of college basketball is, certainly another team out there in the West Coast. St. Mary's has been downtrodden. I was expecting more of them, but... Where would you place USC in terms of biggest disappointments in all of college basketball? Because if they're not at the top of the list, they can't be too far from the top. Yeah, I did a recent article for Best in Brackets on the early disappointments of the season, and two of my top three came from the Los Angeles schools. And we, we could just put both of them at one and two right now, USC and UCLA. I mean, USC, you have the number one freshman in the country, Isaiah Collier. You have a 20-point-per-game score, Boogie Ellis. You have... A front court filled with either good transfers or former five-star talent. And then, of course, Bronny James, who who now seems to be getting back into form. And you lose by 20 to Oregon State, who I think everyone has as the worst team. That's just bad. And then UCLA, you know, they're a young team, as Mick Cronin loves to say in his post-game pressers. But they're still a talented team who could have a whole bunch of future NBA players. And the fact that they're struggling to beat anyone they had to come back down from eight to be Oregon State themselves last weekend it's just not good and I think both of those teams are are in real struggles and I'm not sure what's going to happen with either of them because USC has talent but it just doesn't seem to be coming together at all and at some point you know that locker room's going to get frustrated because a lot of those players still have agendas of their own on what they want to do after this year and none of it's coming together yeah you've got two sons of legends with DJ Rodman, the son of Dennis Rodman, obviously Bronny James is there as well. Man, it's not been going great for them to say the least. And legitimately, you could have all three of your top three disappointments this year coming from that state of California. St. Mary's, UCLA, USC, all very much vying for that. As Tristan Freeman, who does great work over at Boston Brackets, is joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And I know that a few minutes ago, you were mentioning this as well. And I do think that this is so key to take a look at at this point of the year. But you were mentioning these Big 12 teams that they really haven't challenged themselves. Now things are really going to be coming to a head for them. Starting on Saturday, I don't think that it's really going to happen on Wednesday with Oklahoma State playing Chicago State. Chicago State looking better this year, but still not up to stuff with regards to Big 12 teams. But how do you foresee things going in the Big 12? Because you've got a lot of teams that have taken a few losses, like in Oklahoma State, who is and 7-5, ironically enough. You've got a team like a... Texas, who took a pair of relatively rough losses, but at the same time, they played a real schedule. Meanwhile, you were mentioning it, BYU has played a few opponents, but it's not necessarily been too rambunctious. Houston has played nobody. TCU has played nobody. It's just such an interesting dynamic, in my opinion, in the Big 12, because you've got a lot of teams with gaudy records, but the level of competition has been played from team to team very much varies. Yeah, I mean, all but two of them are at least nine and three or better, and you know, some teams like Kansas State hasn't been very impressive. UCF has had to escape some upsets. I think, you know, because of how some of the other conferences struggle, I think people talk about how this team could get 10 or 11 bids to the tournament. 
I don't think there are 10, 11 good teams in this league. And I think the top of the league, when you have Kansas and Houston and, and Baylor and Texas, I think they're going to start really going on win streaks and taking out the, the bottom tier of the competition. And, you know, there's plenty of opportunities. There's going to be quad one games all over the place. But I think just starting not only this weekend, but just the next two weeks, we're going to see some teams start out 0-3 and, and then be like, oh, well, yeah, they really weren't good after all. But we're just going to have to wait a little later to see them exposed compared to some of the others. Yeah, but I think that that's the toughest thing to do at this time of year as well, because certainly we're going to be getting answers sooner than later rather on this front. And how do you take a look at the inverse of this? Because as we know, like Michigan State got off to a brutal start to the season, but we're seeing them start to pick it up. It doesn't sound like much to a lot of people on the national landscape, but you know what? Being able to knock off Indiana State by double figures, I felt like that was a relatively quality win. You've got these teams that they've been willing to play these tough teams, like even Gonzaga. You can hate on Gonzaga all that you want, but they played a really tough non-conference schedule. How do you take a look at some of these teams as well that maybe they've had their early season struggles, but a lot of these losses came against much better competition because I do feel like these could be the teams that ascend towards back half of the season. And look, the strength of schedule is going to be important just in case any teams are on a bubble or comparing resumes. But ultimately, everything's going to even out. Gonzaga has certainly had their struggles, but if they go 14-2 and in league play, then they're going to be just fine again and won't have to worry about any kind of at-large conversation. If Michigan State goes 14-6 and in Big Ten play, then they're probably going to be a sixth seed again. So the teams that even if they have their struggles, it's fine. You'd rather have your struggles early and get it going in January, February, than go through a big losing skid once played nothing but power conference competition and didn't have to prove that you're a good team again. I mean, Mississippi State showed that themselves. They struggled really early on the first few weeks and then got things going to where they ended up making the NCAA tournament despite all the flaws they had. Yeah, I think that that's so well said, and it is a big dynamic of what we're seeing this time of year. It's Tristan Freeman, who does such good work over at Boston Brackets, is joining me on Coast to Coast Soups. And Tristan, while you do a great job on the Pittsburgh front, I know another team that you cover is Duquesne, and they're going to be in action on Wednesday against UMass. And how do you view, for one, this Duquesne team, and two, just the overall tenor of the Atlantic 10? Because the Atlantic 10 came in with... Let's call it what it is, a little bit of a stain on the conference after last year they were a one-bid league. And I can't really say that there's a team other than Dayton that is looking tremendous to be able to get multiple bids. But I just take a look up and down the conference, and a lot of these teams are hovering right around like 10-3, and 9-4. and four. you got a George Mason team at 11-2, and two, and the overall strength of the conference I feel like is so much better than last year, even though you only have one true at-large contender at this point in Dayton. I spent the last weekend in Cleveland for a triple header and saw Davidson and St. Bonaventure both get good wins against Mac opponents, Akron and Ohio. So the conference overall has beaten a lot of good teams and more importantly avoided the bad losses. You know, Duquesne alone, their losses are to Santa Clara, Nebraska and Princeton. None of them you would consider to be bat losses at all. So they're in a solid spot. St. Joe's would be in a really good spot if it wasn't for that random early loss at Texas A&M and Commerce. But the top of the A-10 is in strong shape. You got Dayton, you got Duquesne and St. Joe's playing up the expectations. St. Bonaventure looks good. Teams like Davidson and George Mason have been pleasant surprises as well. And then even UMass, who you mentioned before, who Duquesne opens league play with, they were very impressive in the Diamond Head Classic as well. So I think the top six or seven in the league is very good. 
The bottom is going to be the usual bottom with Rhode Island and Fordham, and we'll see what happens with St. Louis. But I think the A-10 has definitely improved. Will it equal multiple bids? We'll have to see. But I think some of these teams have put themselves in a spot where if they can go 14-4 and in league play, they'll be in the conversation. Yep, I think so as well. And with the Atlantic 10, there's, like I said, really that one team in Dayton that right now has put themselves on the bubble talk, but whoever is able to rise up out of like a George Washington, a George Mason, heck, UMass versus Duquesne. This is a massive game for both of these teams. St. Joe's, I feel like there's a lot of teams that could be able to enter that conversation. So I've loved what I've seen out there. And Tristan, you do such a great job covering this great game. You're following the Atlantic 10, the ACC, really all 362 D1 teams over at Boston Brackets. I know you were referencing that article that you put out about a week or so ago about the biggest disappointments in college basketball. You're doing great work like that and so much more. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow on, on social media and other platforms. Yes, sir. You can follow me at on X slash Twitter at Hoopsnut351 and at Bustin' Brackets for all the latest news and notes of college basketball as we're now fully in the league play all over. Absolutely, we are. And it is that time of year where Tristan shines his brightest. He does such a good job taking a look at this game that we all know and love and always love being able to get him on the show. Big thanks to Tristan for joining me on Kessica Soup's now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some big shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. 
That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See Lisa.com for more details. And we're back here at Love Las Vegas. Because Christy with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beats and Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Tristan Freeman, who does such good work over at Bus and Brackets, taking a look at this game of college basketball that we all know and love. I know that he's hard at work taking a look at the ACC, taking a look at all those schools out there in the Pittsburgh area, and always does a great job lending his insight and his knowledge whenever he joins this podcast. So big thanks to Tristan for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at unit underscore 81. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where the games in the bigger conferences are up first, and then the games involving the smaller conferences. This includes the Patriot League, the MEC, the Big South, the Southland, any independents. So we're looking at you, Chicago State. Those are going to be the, the games at the bottom. If there's any games involving this whack as well, those will also be at the bottom. So let's get things started with 657, 658 on the betting board. It is George Mason. They hit the road. They're facing off against LaSalle. LaSalle is exploring a cover as a 3 to 3.5 point home underdog. Your total is between 138.5 and 139.5. I did set George Mason as a favorite, but I could only make them a 2.5 point favorite. So now that we're getting to a 3 to a 3.5, I'm going to be willing to take the points with LaSalle. I've been highly impressed by the backcourt duo that you've got with this team as Khalil Brantley along Jabari Brakis have been able to combine for a little bit over 30 points, 9.5 assists, and 3 seals per contest while Brakis shooting 43.5% from 3. Meanwhile, you've got Anwar Gill, a good number 3 scorer that's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife guy himself with 3 assists, seal and half, 11.5 points per contest. This team is going to be outgunned in a lot of games down low and George Mason. They certainly are going to be able to win that battle with Keyshawn Hall being able to supply 16 points, 9.5 rebounds per game. And for George Mason, they've done a really good job of controlling games. They're a bottom 50 team in the country in terms of tempo, in terms of total possessions per game, and they shoot it well from three. They shoot 37% as a collective from three-point range. You've had Darius Maddox along with Mari Kelly. Both shoot north of 41% from three with Kelly shooting 50% from distance. But I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression there. Ronald Polite has done a nice job being able to hit shot the ball as well. He's someone that has been able to give you a little bit over three assists per contest, so I do like what I'm seeing there. And for George Mason, this has been a team that has been able to do a relatively solid job getting some second chances, but what I've noticed is that they rebound 34% of their missed shots at home. On the road, this does go down to about 25%. So you do have a little bit of issue there. It's a George Mason team that's okay at being able to generate turnovers, but they don't do anything amazing in way of that. And I do think that this is a little bit of a uh, Patriots team that is prone to giving up the three ball as well. We have seen George Mason being consistent on this front, allowing opponents to shoot north of 34% from three, ranking 218th in the country with that regard. And with that being the bread and butter of LaSalle, though LaSalle, I do think is going to lose the battle down low. I do think that all that talent that they have in the backcourt, the way that they're protecting the ball, going to allow them to hang in this game. Did semi total 134.5. This is a relatively mid-tempo LaSalle team, and this is a George Mason bunch that it's really bare down on defense, giving up fewer than 70 points each out of their last four games. Meanwhile, you've got a LaSalle bunch that has given up 71 points or fewer for their last five, lone exception coming against Miami. So, 
did semi-total at a 134.5 dive and under, and at 3-plus, going to be willing to take the points with the Explorers. 659, 660 on the banking board. Providence is going to be playing us to Seton Hall. Seton Hall, a 5-6 to six point underdog. Totals between 137.5 and 138. Did set Providence as a 7-point favorite. Going to be willing to lay this summer with Providence. They are currently a top-20 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against a Seton Hall team that has been shaky from 3. I do think that Seton Hall is going to be able to pick it up a little bit. They're shooting 29.6% from 3-par range. Kadari Richmond last season was darn near a 40% 3-point shooter and still has that great versatility. 15 points, 6 boards, 4 assists, 2.5 steals per contest. Shooting 10.5% from 3. That'll be going up. Elmir Dawes, Ray Davis, they combined to shoot darn near 40% from 3 last season. They're combined for 25.5 points per game, but now they're shooting more like 33% from 3. So I do think that there's going to be a little bit of an uptick there, but for Providence, you've also got your main scorer, Bryce Hopkins, who's shooting less than 30% from 3. He's been able to do a really good job, despite that, of still giving this team relatively good offensive production has been able to do a good job fitting the glass with 7 plus rebounds per game and that is an issue for Seton You do have Kadari Richmond, Dre Davis both giving you 5.5 plus rebounds per game but in terms of their forward slash centers really the only guy you're getting production from is Jaden Bediaco with about 8 rebounds per game. I've noticed that for Shaheem Holloway he's always relied upon Casey Undefu down low with him now being out of the fold. It's been a little bit more of a struggle for the Seton Hall team so having to go up against someone in Hopkins that has been able to give you north of 7 rebounds per game. You've got Devin Carter at just like 6'3", six 6'4". Foot six foot Gives you 17 points, 8 boards, 3 assists, shooting 40% from 3. I do think that that's going to be an issue for Providence. Main crypt tonight has been the turnovers. There are near 14 turnovers per game, and this is a Seton Hall team that they do a good job of being able to take the ball away. It is also a Seton Hall team that has been very inconsistent when it comes to their offense. So as this is a core that has scored 70 points or fewer in now 4 out of their last 6 games. Meanwhile, you've got a Providence team that if you're looking at regulation and regulation only because that game against Butler it did go to overtime so if you cycle it back to just that this team has now given up 72 points or fewer in every one of their games as far as the season and I do think that that is going to be a big key in this game I do think that they hold down a seed all team that I don't think is going to be able to dominate on glass that allow Providence to be able to take hold of this game as a result did semi 135 diving in on the under and with Providence willing to lay up to six half points with them made them a seven point favorite 661 662 on the bank board. It is Mercer on the road facing off against East Tennessee State. ETSU is a four and a half to a five point favorite. And your total that is between 134 and a half and 135. I said ETSU is a nine point favorite. Going to be willing to lay the number. I know that I should probably try to unsee this result a little bit, but every time I think of Mercer, I think of them losing to D2 Clark Atlanta to begin the season. It has not been so savory now. To their credit, ever since then, they have been above 500, both straight up and against the spread with Jalen McCreary, being able to give the team 16 points per contest, but this is a bunch that they don't necessarily have a ton from the outside, shooting about 33.5% from three, and McCreary's the only guy on the roster that gives you north of 4.5 rebounds per game, and for that matter, he's the only guy that gives you north of 9.5 points per game as well. So Mercer not necessarily doing a whole heck of a lot well and when it comes to ETSU Got a pair of guys that have been able to do a solid job giving you 7 plus rebounds per game. As Jaden Seymour has been your main guy with 14.7 boards per contest, and Karen Boyd has now been able to give you more around 8.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. With Seymour, he also throws in there about 35.5% three point shooting, while E.B. Asamoah has been your main man, shooting 39% from three. Comes in from Delaware, scoring north of 15 points per contest. And for ETSU, they do a pretty solid job of cutting off the three point arc, a top 125 team in the country with this regard. 
Meanwhile, you've got a Mercer team that they've been able to improve a little bit with their defense on the inside. On the outside, it's been horrible. They're allowing opponents in a roadside shoot court environment to shoot 38.7% from three-point range. That is a bottom 50 mark in all of college basketball for this ETSU team. They do turn the ball over a little bit more than what you'd like. 12 and a half turnovers per game. Both of these teams outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. And to the credit of Mercer, they have now been able to get to at least 70 points in each of their last four games, but against Florida Gulf Coast. They score approximately 70 points. Two of those other games came against non-D1 foes. Meanwhile, you've got an ETSU team that went on the road. They hung 86 points against East Carolina. Defense has been a little bit up and down. 70-plus points surrendered in three other last five games, but I do like what I'm seeing on this offense. ETSU should be able to win that battle down low. And for Mercer, they are really giving it up from three-point range. So, this is a circumstance where I did sub my total 137. I do think that ETSU going to be able to light it up from three-point range. Going to be taking a look the over and I do think that ETSU keeps it rolling after that nice upset win against East Carolina. Set my line at 9. So, want to lay the number with East Tennessee and going to be looking at this at over. 663-664 on the betting board. Evansville's on the road facing off against Indiana State. Indiana State, a 14 to a 14 and a half point favorite. Totals between 157 and a half and 158 and a half. Evansville has actually cranked up their tempo this year. This is a top 100 team in terms of total possessions per game and for Indiana State, top 20 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, leaving a little bit to be desired in terms of the defensive side of things, but I did set my total at 156. So I'm going to be diving in on the under. Indiana State is a pretty awesome offense, but I do expect a little bit more regression moving forward. Team is shooting 41.2% from three-point range and out of their top six scores, five of them are shooting at least 41 percent from three-point range. I don't feel like it's an knock to Indiana State to say this is just not sustainable. I mean, this is an awesome team. I love Robbie Avila. 15 half points, six half boards, four assists. At six foot ten, he's currently shooting 44% from three-point range. He's really got a role in there. You've got so many guys that are able to throw out the ball. Avila is certainly one of them. And then you've had Xavier Bledson, Julian Larry, both giving you about three and a half assists per contest. Five different guys give you at least ten and a half points per game. So you've got a lot of depth there. And I do think that for Evansville, it is a little bit of a concern that this team has been up and down with regards to their defense. You look at their last five games, they have given up 96, 61, 91, 51, and 76 points. So certainly they have been up and down the boulevard, but... I think they do just enough dang in this game because you've got Ben Humer-Riches who has come in and has really been able to fortify this offense. 16.5 points, 5.5 boards on 48.5% three-point shooting now. I think that that's going to fall off a little bit as well, but to the credit of Evansville. They've done a nice job being able to keep things clean with only about 10 and a half turnovers per game now. They themselves, one of the worst teams in all of college basketball in terms of forcing turnovers in Evansville, has been rough with their three-point shooting defense. They're about 240th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Indiana State, meanwhile, they're allowing opponents to shoot 15% from three-point range at home. Now, I do think that that is going to be seeing a massive uptake. That is just not a sustainable number, to say the least, but this is an Indiana State team that as well. They do a relatively solid job on the glass. You've got for Evansville, just not as much of that. You've been able to have you seen to me be able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. Kenny Strawbridge gives you a little bit of versatility, but for Evansville, 191st in the country in terms of rebound rate. They're only grabbing 46.5% of total rebounds when they are on the road. That's out of 100 rebounds. They grab 46.4% of them, so that's not necessarily too terrific. So I do think that Indiana State 
Good to be able to win the battle down low. I do think, though, for Evansville, they do just enough on defense to be able to hold in this game. I do like the way that Evansville has been able to take care of the ball. So at 14 and a half, we just got a little bit too far. I did set my number at a 14, so 14 and a half plus. Going to be taking a look at the points with Evansville, and I think we see just a little bit of Coolidge with this Indiana State offense. Set my total at 156, so going under and going to be willing to take 14 and a half or more with Evansville. 665, 666 on the bang board. Rutgers hits the road face off against Ohio State. The Ohio State University is a 9 to a 9 and a half point favorite. Your totals between 131 and a half and 132 and with Ohio State, I did set them as a favorite of 10 and a half points. So I'm going to be willing to lay it. There is no question that with Rutgers, defense is going to be there. A top 20 team in the country turns the points allowed on a per possession basis, but I've noticed this with Rutgers. When they are on the road or in a neutral court environment, this defense just doesn't hit the same as they do at home. When Rutgers is at home, at the rack, they're one of the toughest teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball. And overall, this team is still fifth in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per possession basis, but I mean, it's pretty massive when you're giving up 23.9 points more per 100 possessions when you're on the road rather than at home. And for Ohio State, this has always been a team that's had their struggles on defense really ever since Chris Holman and company took over the show. But at the same time, for Ohio State, while they're not like some amazing defense or anything like that, it's a whole heck of a lot better than what it has been in past years. This is an Ohio State team that's 43rd in the country. Turns the points slot on a per-possession basis. They're able to do a relatively solid job down low with Zed Key being able to give you about six or so rebounds per game. Is he going to have his issues with Cliff Amarui? Absolutely. Cliff Amarui has been a double-double machine for Rutgers as far as the season, but for Rutgers, they just don't have the same backcourt that they did a season ago. Derek Simpson has been able to supply 9 points, 3 assists per game, but he's only shooting right around about 30% from 3-point range. Rutgers as a whole, they're shooting 29.3% from 3, and they played against a lot of lesser competition. Meanwhile, for Iowa State, this is a team that they stepped out there and they challenged themselves. UCLA, West Virginia, they're not looking like as good of wins as they did towards the beginning part of the season, but they still played them. They still went up against a very good Alabama team to begin the season as well, Texas a so I do like the way that Ohio State has played some good competition, has been able to overcome that with Roddy Gale, Bruce Thornton being able to give you combined about 32 points, 7 half assists, and Gale's been able to shoot 41% from 3. Ohio State has really slowed it down as well. They are well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. Rutgers, as always, a very slow, very controlled team. As a result, this is a Rutgers bunch that has done a great job of being able to keep things out in front of them. For Rutgers, they have given up north of 70 points just twice this far this season, but I mean, those were really and step up games and they did give up approximately 70 to a Mississippi State team that they're a little bit less than savory in terms of their offense as well so that's something that you do want to be mindful of and I do think that for Iowa State they're going to be able to do a solid job of containing Cliff Armourui it's a Rutgers team that really can't find a lot from the outside and when you can get someone like a Dale Bonner going who's only been able to get the team right around about six and a half points per contest but we saw him last year at Baylor shoot about 37% from three point range with having someone like a Felix Opara down low giving you two and a half blocks per contest I do think that Ohio State going to be able to take control of a game that it's going to be rather slow rather controlled I did set my total at a 134 and a half just because this Rutgers defense as I was benching not the same on the road so I'm going to be looking at the over with Ohio State want to lay up to 10 with them set them as a 10 and a half point favorite so laying over to Iowa State and looking at the over. 667, 668 on the bang board. Duquesne, it's road face off against UMass. The Minutemen do find themselves as a favorite of 1 to 2 points. Totals between 155.5 and 156.5. And with Duquesne, I did set them as an underdog of 6 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number for this UMass team. You've got the Twin Towers down low and Matt Cross. 
couple with Josh Cohen. These guys have done a really nice job of falling in there, combined about 16 and a half rebounds per game. And now Josh Cohen is shooting darn near 40% from three-point range. He has been really impressive coming over from St. Francis of Pennsylvania, where I mean, he was completely dominant last year, scoring 20-plus points per contest, but he was doing it at a much lower level. He has come up, and he has had no fall-off whatsoever. Meanwhile, it is a Duquesne team that, other than really Day-Day Grand, it is a little bit of a hole is greater than some of its parts sort of team. You've got Day-Day Grand, who's been your main scorer with 19 points per contest, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. Jimmy Clark gets him the ball at the point guard spot, forces 16.5 points per contest, and then nobody else really gives you north of 8.5 points per contest. Now, the good news for Duquesne, Dusan Borosic, he comes in from NC State. I mean, this guy has been like at 15 different schools at this point, but... He's now back in the fold. He's been able to give the team 17 points in his first two games back, but at 6 for 10 in his first two games, he held in there a combined two rebounds. Now, he played limited minutes. I believe that he's played a combined 12 minutes. I don't think we're going to see his full allotment of minutes. So you're still going to have some issues down low for Duquesne, a Duquesne team that has one player on the roster that's giving you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. That would be Fusani Drame, 7.5 points, 6 boards, shooting about 39% from 3. All in all, it is a Duquesne team that shoots right around about 35% from three-point range, and for Duquesne, it's just one of those teams that it feels like they do everything decent, but they don't necessarily do anything great. If they could elevate in, like, one or two sectors, I think that this would be a team that would really be able to elevate, but they're just not quite there. They're about 132nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're a solid offense, but they're not necessarily a great offense. They're an okay rebounding team, but not a great rebounding team at about 135th in the country. And for UMass, this is a top-30 team in the country in terms of percentage of missed shots that they are able to grab a second chance on in terms of an offensive rebound. You've had Rasul Diggins be able to give you a double-figure amount of points per game. UMass has done a really good job of being able to force turnovers as well. A top-40 team in the country with that regard, while they themselves only turn the ball for about 11.5 times per game. There is one trepidation with UMass. They only shoot about 68.5% at the free throw line, but really liked what this team showed in a while. I do think that they're going to be able to translate that moving forward, especially with having four separate guys give you at least 2.3 assists per game. So, good overall ball handling on this team. I did set my total at a 156. You've got a UMass team that's playing relatively up-tempo and a Duquesne team that they're a little bit more of a mid-tempo team between 155.5 and 156.5. Personally, I'd rather take the 156.5 under because this is a UMass team that, despite them playing fast, they are a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They have given up a combined 65.5 points per game in their last two contests as well. So, here at the 156.5 or higher, going to be looking at the under. Both UMass want to lay up to 5.5 with them. 669, 670 on the bank board. St. Louis is going to be playing us to Loyal Chicago. Loyal Chicago does find themselves as a pick to a one-point favorite. And your total between 146.5 and 147.5 sets St. Louis as a two-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be taking them as a pick slash a money line underdog. I'm just not in on this Loyal Chicago team at all. They've had a tough time taking care of the ball. They don't have a single guy that's giving you north of five rebounds per game. They really don't take good shots. I'm just not seeing the appeal with this team. Now, the good news is Philip Olsen, who was missing four games earlier in the season, he's back and he's in full force, 15 points per contest, but he shoots only about 26% from three. Now, behind him, you do have a pair of guys, Braden Norris, along with Jaden Dawson, who are being able to shoot about 43 to 44% from three-point range, both giving you about eight and a half to nine points per game. And for Norris, 5.3 assists, a fewer than two turnovers per game. 
Problem is, his buddies just don't take care of the ball very well. You've only got one guy, Miles Rubin, giving you north of 4.3 rebounds per game. And for St. Louis, the team doesn't have a ton down low. They've been dealing with a whole bunch of injuries. But at the same time, I do think that they're going to be elevated quite a bit by Bradley Izawairo coming into the fold. As this is a six foot nine, little bit of a combo guy that comes in from Georgetown along with LSU. He's one of those two-time transfers that wasn't eligible to begin the season. And now has been able to give the team a combined 14 rebounds in their last two games against NC State along with Louisiana Tech. Getting him in the fold, that helps out a team that was badly hurting ever since that sincere Parker injury. You've still got Gibson Jimerson, who off the ball is able to shoot 38% from three. He's giving you 16 points per contest. This team is still trying to find its way a little bit in terms of facilitation, but whenever he's been out there, the freshman in Sion Medley, he's been able to do a relatively solid job with 3.2 assists, so right around about 1.8 turnovers per game and 5 plus assists each of the team's last three games. Now, 3 plus turnovers have come in every one of those games as well, so that's a little bit of an issue, but guess what? This loyal Chicago team, they really don't generate a lot of turnovers. It's a loyal Chicago team that's been all over the place in terms of their defense. If you look at them against D1 competition and D1 competition only, 77 plus points surrendered in two other last four games. Meanwhile, you've got a St. Louis team that was really struggling on offense, but now has been able to find it a little bit more, 69 plus points each other last four games. It is a St. Louis team that has Terrence Hargrove, who's got a lot of versatility to be able to give you about 14 points, 6 half rebounds per game. And for Loyal Chicago, this team, I think, is going to lose a battle on the glass with getting Igua Zyro back in the fold for St. Louis. I do think that that's going to be a big difference maker against a Loyal Chicago team that ever since they've come to the Atlantic 10, they've been covering fewer than 33% of spreads. So I did set St. Louis as a 2.5 point favorite, taking them as a pick em slash a money line underdog. I did set my total 142.5. It is a St. Louis team that has had some issues on offense. And certainly with Loyal Chicago, they've been having their issues on both of these teams. Not necessarily super up tempo. So looking at the under and going to be one take St. Louis as a pick slash an underdog. 671, 672 on the betting board. Rhode Island is going to be playing us to St. Joe's. St. Joe's hopes to not be average Joe's as six point road favorite. So those between 144 and a half and 146. I did set St. Joe's as a five and a half point favorite. Six is my minimum buy point on Rhode Island, but it is my buy point. Rhode Island certainly has had their struggles on defense, despite the fact that they're not really an up-tempo team. They're well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. Biggest thing for them, 289th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, especially at home. At home, Rhode Island is allowing opponents to shoot 36.6% from three-point range, and this is a St. Joe's team that certainly is going to be able to exploit that. You've got a not-so-average Joe's team that's able to shoot 37% from three-point range. Of your top five scores, four of them are shooting at least 40.4% from three-point range. Headlined by Eric Reynolds, 17 points, three assists, shooting 41% from three-point range. Lynn Greer has been very efficient with the ball. Four and a half assists on 42% three-point shooting. And for St. Joe's, each other top five scores are all giving you at least 11 points per game. It is a little bit of a top-heavy team, though. Christ Itasango, he has been dealing with a little bit of injury. Good news is, returned in that game against Loyola, Maryland. Only eight minutes in that game, so he's probably not going to be up to his full allotment of minutes. Was averaging about 20 minutes per contest this season, but just being able to get him back, that is a relatively good sign. But what I think is going to be able to keep Rhode Island lively in this game, their two backcourt pieces, Zeke Montgomery along Jaden House, a pair of guys giving you combined 27 points per contest. You've got House, who's been able to shoot in the low 30s from three-par range. Montgomery, more around 36% from three-par range. And reinforcements are on the way for this team as well. David Green, the transfer, he's finally now eligible. I believe that he was a part of those two-time transfers that were ineligible and 
with St. Joe's. They have been able to get a little bit more out of Rasheed Fleming, who's been able to give you about seven or so rebounds per game, but this hasn't necessarily been a dominating rebounding team. Now, I will say this about St. Joe's. What has really been underrated about this bunch has been their defense. When you think St. Joe's, you think of their three-point shooting, but this has been a team that year in and year out, they've gotten better and better under this current coaching regime with their defense. 22nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but the caution that I do have with that, they are allowing 18.5 points more per 100 possessions at a roadside shooter court environment rather than when they are at home. And for Rhode Island, about 232nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but again, giving up nearly 12 points fewer per 100 possessions at home. So, while I do think that St. Joe's gets the job done, I feel like this line has just went a little bit too far. I set my line at a 5.5, so now getting the 6, going to be willing to take the points with Rhode Island, and Rhode Island, a relatively low-tempo team, set my total at 141.5 as a result, so going under and going to be willing to take the points with Rhode Island. 673, 674 on the betting board, the Citadel is going to be playing us of Western Carolina. Western Carolina, they pick them to a 1.5 point favorite. Your total is between 137 and 137.5, so Western Carolina as a 2 point favorite, so getting them as a pick um, slash a one-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Western Carolina. Vontavious Woolbright is going to be able to dominate this game. He is by far the best player in this game, and he's legitimately one of the most underrated players in all of college basketball. When you talk about Satchi suffers, look no further than this man. 21 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists per game. Does turn the ball over three and a half times for contest, but all in all, it's a Western Carolina team that they're a low-tempo team because they do very much run everything through Woolbright. They are only turning the ball over 11 times for contest. You've got some good ancillary shooting to the side of them as well. Russell Jones has been able to shoot about 42% from three-point range. Chipping in there about 11 points per contest. We saw Trey Jackson last year be a 17 to 18 point per game score. He's seen a little bit of a downtick there, but still giving you 12 and a half points. Shooting it relatively solid from three-point range. And on the flip side for the Citadel, you do have Quinn Melora Brown, who comes in from Vanderbilt. He's been able to do a nice job supplying nine and a half rebounds per game. And for the Citadel, this is just not the same team that they were 20 months ago. You take a look at how they've transformed themselves under Ed Conroy because back in the Duggar Bauckham days, this was one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball. Now for the Citadel, if you're 362 D1 teams, they are 334th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Just an absolute transformation with this team. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a drag them out, low scoring slog. I did set my total at 136 as a result. I'm going to be looking at the under end. While the Citadel does have a pair of nice guards, Elijah Morgan, AJ Smith have been able to combine for about 29.5 points per contest, and they're both shooting above 39% from three-point range. Outside of them, you don't necessarily have a lot. Michael Dewar has been able to give you about 10 points per contest, but it's a very top-heavy team. I do think that even though Western Carolina does look to Woolbright being a little bit of a do-it-all sort of guy, they've got a little bit more behind them, and Western Carolina has really been able to hype things up with regards to their defense. This is a bunch that has now given up 63 points or fewer in each other's last five games. I do think that they hold up at the point of attack, especially down low against the Citadel. So, did some HL at a 136 going under with Western Carolina. Want to lay up to one and a half with them. 675, 676 on the betting board. It's George Washington, our nation's first resident, plays us to Fordham. Very bold of our nation's first president to lay four to four and a half points against a whole pack of Rams all by himself. Totals between 149 and 149 and a half. Seeing straight 150 and a half out there as well. And I did set my total at 153. I'm looking at the over. With Fordham, this is a very up-tempo team. They're a top 50 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And George Washington has been playing at warp speed this season as well. Fordham, they are still a top 
five team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but this has been a team that's been getting quite gashed recently, which is why I do take a look at the over. You take a look at this Fordham bunch, and they've now given up 77 plus points so far in their last five games. Now, I have a little bit of trepidation taking the over because this is a Fordham team that's 267th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, and the offense really knows that when they're away from home, scoring about 22.7 points fewer per one possessions on the road rather than at home. You've got Yusuf Metter, who comes in from Meet Meep, the U at TSA Roadrunners, shooting 36% for 312 points per contest, and he's really the guy that's trying to dole it out, though you are getting a little bit more of Antrell Charlton, not a dominating scorer, but a little bit of a stat sheet sufferer with about 6 points, 3 assists, 4 boards, CNF per contest, and for Fordham, Abdul Sambilia has been able to give you about 8.5 rebounds per game, but the guys like Reed Norkovsky and guys like that that were doing such a good job last season, they're now out of the fold, and for George Washington, three of your top four scorers give you at least six rebounds per game. Maximus Edwards, Lon Darren Buchanan, really like what I'm seeing out. These two guys combined for 26 points per game. Edwards shooting north of 41% for three. Garrett Johnson has been able to supply 40% three-point shooting, six half rebounds, a steal per contest, and then you've got the main scorer in James Bishop, the fourth, who's been able to give you four and a half assists per game. It is the George Washington team that gets a little bit out of sorts with a 14 and a half turnovers per game, but they're shooting about 37.5% from three-point range, and last year, George Washington was bumping up their tempo, but they couldn't guard a soul. Not to say they're an amazing defense. I do think that these numbers are propped up a little bit, but they're in the 30th in the country. There's points a lot on a per-possession basis. Again, George Washington hasn't necessarily played the world's greatest competition. I mean, you take a look at their last four games. Cobbett State, non-D1, Bowie State, Elkhorn State, Maryland Eastern Shore. You're going to have good results there, but I mean, this is a bunch that they're getting to 75-plus on the regular. It's a Fordham team that has really been struggling with their defense. I do think that George Washington going to be able to do a solid job in the backcourt, being able to get some scoring going. So I did some line at 7. I'm going to be willing to lay with George Washington. I think that this is going to be a game so good enough for late game felling and with Fordham struggling on defense, I do think that you get an over. So laying at the over and going to be willing to lay it with our nation's first president. 677, 678 on the bang board. It is Wofford and they play us at VMI. VMI does find themselves as a underdog of 15 points with your total between 151.5 and 152. Set Wofford as a 14 and a half point favorite. 15 was my minimum buy point on VMI, and we have gotten there. And for VMI, as sad as it sounds, they're actually better on defense this year than they were a season ago. Last year, out of 363 D1 teams, you had one more D1 team last year than this year. They were 362nd, so you know what? Them being right around 223rd in the country is actually marked improvement. And for VMI, they're actually giving up about 7.9 points fewer per one hour possessions on the road rather than at home. And this is a Wofford team that just has not been able to defend to save their lives. 298th with this regard. It's gotten a little bit better for, for Wofford, but they're allowing about 15 more points per one hour possessions at home rather than on the road. For Wofford, credit where credit is due, they have held three out of their last five opponents, uh, fewer than 68 points, so they've been able to do a great job on that front, but for VMI, they themselves, 73 points or fewer allowed in each out of their last three games, and I do think that VMI going to be able to hold up on the glass because you've been able to get 10.5 rebounds per game of Deshaun Jackson. Doesn't necessarily give you a lot of scoring, but that's why you've got in the backcourt Brendan Watkins, who's been able to give you about 39.5% three-point shooting, 15 points per contest. VMI does shoot it at a 34% clip from three. Now, for VMI, the big bugaboo for this team, Turnover, 16 and a half per contest. 
Good news is you go up against Wofford, who's generating four steals per game. In terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, it's not existent with Wofford. Now, for Wofford, you've also got a nice backcourt duo on Corey Tripp along with Dylan Bailey. These two guys have been able to combine for a little bit over 29 points per contest. Bailey shooting about 35% from the outside with his Wofford team. You've been able to get a combined six assists per game out of Tripp along with the big man in Kyler Filewich, who's been able to give you nine rebounds per game. But other than Tripp, for Filewich, he's really the lone guy that's giving North about six six rebounds per game, so that's a little bit of an issue. I do think that VMI, while they do have their holes on defense, this is one of the lesser teams in terms of being able to guard the three-point arc in all of college basketball. You've got all sorts of issues with this Wofford team as well, so you got a pair of bad defenses going at it. I do think that you're going to be getting a little bit more of an up-and-down game here. I do think that you've got a pair of teams that just, with regards to their tempo, just not going to quite get there in terms of the total. I did set my total of 150.5, so going to be looking at the under, but being able we get 15. Going to be willing to take those points with VMI. 679, 680 on the betting board. Davidson plays those to Dayton. Dayton is a 4-4.5 four four point road favorite. Your total is 136.5. I did set my line at a 135 on this total, so I'm going to be looking at the under. Davidson, a bottom 40 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and stunningly, we have seen quite a bit of a drop-off in terms of both of these defenses. Dayton is typically a team that gives you no offense, but they're absolutely superb on defense. That's been the opposite for Dayton this year. Dayton is now 172nd in the country in terms points a lot on a per possession basis and Davidson 299th in the country with Davidson giving up 2.8 points more per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than on the road but you got a Dayton team that's actually 18th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis meanwhile Davidson they are 22nd and for Davidson I'm not even kidding when I say this they're averaging 35.1 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road I just think that this speaks to a lot more the fact that they have played absolutely nobody at home thus far this season I do think that we're going to see some massive regression here for Davidson. You've got David Skogman, who's going to be able to match up, in my opinion, halfway okay with Dayron Holmes. With Skogman, he's saying 6'10". He's been able to pop threes at a 40% clip, giving you 5.5 boards, 13 points per contest. And for Mr. Holmes, 17.5 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, 2.5 blocks on 43.5% three-point shooting. Just absolutely massive what he's been able to do. And both of these teams take good care of the ball. Neither of these teams with north of really 10.5 turnovers per game. But for Dayton, they're shooting 41.7% from three-point range. They're a really good three-point shooting team. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I do think we're going to see some regression there, even though this is a Davidson team. that They do have their warts on defense. The one thing they've done is guard the three-point arc. Opponents are shooting just 25.6% from three-point range at home against them. Meanwhile, you do have a Dayton team that they themselves are 221st in the country and opponents three point shooting percentage, but guarding the three better on the road rather than at home, and this is a Dayton team that while they do shoot so well from three-point range, they do drive the ball down low quite well. Holmes, along with Nate Santos, are combined for about 14 rebounds per game. You've got a Swiss Army knife guy, Neonach Cheeks, that comes in from Robert Morris, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, six points, four and a half boards per game. I do think that both of these teams really are going to see a little bit of a slide with that three-point shooting as Davidson, they themselves, they shoot about 33% from three-point range, but they've got a lot of unlikely guys that have stepped up, like Connor Kacharis shooting 38.5% from three-point range. You really don't have anyone that's giving you north of 5.3 rebounds per game. I do like Grant Huffman giving you five boards, five assists, 12 points per contest, but I do think that with Dayton having all that size, having multiple ways to be able to win games, and Dayton now being able to bump it up a little bit more on defense for this Dayton bunch, they have now given up 70 points or fewer in each of their last six games, and really for the Dayton team, I believe that they have allowed north of 71 points just once this season. I do think that they're going to hold it down against a Davidson team that 
I do think is going to be able to show a little bit more of a heartbeat on defense, but I do think that they're going to struggle with the size of the Flyers. So I did set my total at 135. I'm diving in on the under. And when it comes to Dayton, I did set them as a five-point favorite, so good to be willing to lay the number. 681, 682 on the betting board. It is firm, and they are on the road facing off against UNC Greensboro. And Greensboro does find themselves as favorites of two and a half points. Draw on this game is anywhere between 151 and 152. And for UNC Greensboro, I am going to be willing to lay it. I did set them as a favorite more in that neighborhood of about four and a half points for Furman. They're coming off of a loss to a non-D1 school, which is just absolutely the epitome of brutality. So that's not necessarily what you want if you are this Furman team. Meanwhile, for Furman, it's just been all about the defense as cause for issues with this team. The offense is still relatively fine, despite the fact that they do lose a lot of their top flight guys from a season ago. Jalen Slauson was a triple-double machine for the team a season ago. That's not the issue. For Furman, they are outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Feels like they're playing a little bit too fast for their own good. Meanwhile, you've got a UNC Greensboro team that they have really slid with their defense as well. For UNC Greensboro, typically under Mike Jones, you ask who, and I say Mike Jones. This is a team as in the top one earned in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Not getting a lot going on offense, but getting a lot going on defense. Meanwhile, for Greensboro this season, actually allowing a point more per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road, and they rank 222nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But with all that, they've been able to bump up their offense. UNC Greensboro now in the top 130 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and this is despite the fact that they are coming off of scoring 65 points or fewer to each other last three games against D1 opponents, and you need a little bit of a get-right spot? Well, Furman, they should be able to provide that. If you take a look at their games against D1 competition, because they've actually played against a ton of non-D1 teams, they've given up 70-plus in all but one of these games as far this season. You do have for this Furman team, JP Peaks, who's been able to do a nice job as a double-figure scorer, and he's been having to do a lot by himself with Marcus Foster being on the full Foster thus far this season. 20 points, 5.5 rebounds. Has not been seen in a month. He's pretty much out until further notice, but Peaks in the meantime give you 5.5 assists, shooting 37 7.5% from three, but for Furman, because they do play so fast, they do turn the ball over about 14.5 times per game. This is a Greensboro team that they've never had a forte of necessarily generating turnovers, and a lot of their offensive issues have come without Mikel Brown-Jones. Brown-Jones, top scorer for the team, 19.5 points per contest, has not been seen really in the last three or four games for the team, and I do expect him to be out once again, but you still have the Langley brothers out there. Kobe and Keyshawn Langley. Keyshawn is your main scorer, 14 points, 2.5 assists on 37% three-point shooting, but Kobe, also shoots nearly 37% from the outside, but does more of the little things. Only about 9.5 points per game, but 5.5 assists, 2 steals per game. Greensboro keeps it very clean with only about 10 turnovers per game. And I do think that that's going to be a massive difference in this game. With the way that both of these teams have just give, been giving up points upon points, and the way that Greensboro has been playing a little bit more up-tempo as well, I do think that you get a high-scoring slobber knocker. It's a Furman team that still, despite the fact that they've been dealing with a bunch of injuries, they're still a top 75 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. So, I certainly think that they get their points, but I think that they get gash on defense. So I did set my total at 154.5. I'm looking at the over with Greensboro. Want to lay up to four with them. Set them as a four and a half point favorite. 683, 684 is a DK network right up pick. You've got Georgia Tech on the road facing off against Florida State. Florida State is a three and a half to a four point favorite. Totals between 142.5 and 143. My write up is actually going to be on the over. I did set my total at a 152. You've got a pair of teams that have really been bumping up their tempo this season. Florida State in the top 50 in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Georgia Tech covering right around about 100. 
130th to 140th in terms of total possessions per game. Not playing at warp speed, but at the same time, significantly faster than they did a season ago. And Florida State comes in in really rough form in the way that they are guarding the three-point arc over their last five games, really ever since you've gotten back in the full Primo Spears, who was a very solid scorer over at Georgetown last year. He was able to log about 15 points, five assists per contest, but not necessarily allotted for his defense. And in these last five games, Florida State is allowing opponents to shoot 42.3% from three-point range. You're also going to be getting a whole bunch of second chances when those shots are not falling, as this is a Florida State team that's allowing opponents to grab 31.1% of their missed shots as an offensive rebound. That ranks 292nd in all of college basketball. Georgia Tech, they grab an offensive rebound on 35.1% of their missed shots. That ranks 25th in all of college basketball. Both of these teams relatively equal in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as well. Florida State is 115th. Georgia Tech is 121st. Both Georgia Tech allowing 14 more points per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. And though Georgia Tech, not a team that's really going to gash you from three par range. You're only shooting about 28.5% from three. Kawasi Reeves is your main man from the outside. 11.5 points per contest. They've been able to get back in the fold. Their freshman big man in Bay Ndongo, who's been tremendous. Nine boards, 12 points per game. This is a big reason why. They've been able to get all those second and third chances. And for Florida State, they're really bumping up the tempo. Now that you've got Primo Spears back in the fold, this is a team that I think is really going to be able to elevate with their offense. As a matter of fact, ever since Primo Spears has returned in their last three games, they're averaging 5.6 points more per 100 possessions than they did previously prior to these last three games. You've got Jameer Watkins, Darren Green combined for 26 points per contest, and both of these guys combined to shoot and then neighborhood about 37% from three-point range. You've had defensive issues, really, with both of these teams. You've got a Georgia Tech team that has been able to rise up a little bit more, but this is a Florida State team that I do think that getting Spears back to the fold is going to allow them to be very much an offense-oriented team. You certainly have a Florida State team that leaves quite a bit of something to be desired on defense, as this bunch has given up at least 75 points in four of their last six games. You've got a Georgia Tech team that they themselves, they've been having their, shall we say, ups and downs in terms of the defense as in terms of 70-plus point games, they've allowed four in their last six as well. So I do think that for Georgia Tech, they're going to be able to get theirs, but I certainly do think that they're going to be surrendering quite a few points. It's a Florida State team that is very interested in running Georgia Tech under Damon Sotomayor. They bumped up to the tempo as well. So my DK Network write-up pick, that is going to be on the total over. I did set my total at 152 on Florida State. I did set them as a six-point favorite. Getting back Spears, having quite a bit of size to be able to match up with Ndongo and company, I think is going to be enough for them to get the job done at home. So I'm going to be willing to lay with Florida State and my DK Network write-up pick. That is on this total over. 685, 686 on the bang board. It is Virginia. They play also Louisville. Louisville does find themselves as an underdog of 14 points in your total. It's between 127 and 128.5. Except Virginia as a favorite of 17 points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I recognize that Virginia has had some doldrums, especially on the road. That game against Notre Dame was a little bit less than savory, but this little team is still having their issues, to say the least, especially on the defensive side of things. For Louisville, they gave up 75-plus points in all but one of their games in the month of December. And for Louisville, they're just not finding their footing from the outside. They're shooting 29% from three-point range. Louisville's also been turning the ball over 12 and a half times per contest. And for Virginia, all of a sudden, they've been able to do a much better job of being able to generate turnovers. In terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, this is a top-20 team in all of college basketball. Going up against a Louisville offense that ranks 196th of the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, I will say, you've had Trey White, coupled with Mike James, 
be able to combine for about 25 points per contest. And then Sky Clark, two and a half assists, 16 points per game. But these guys are not doing a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Louisville is actually going to have a little bit of a size advantage down low. James and White both give you six rebounds per game. And Brandon Huntley-Hatfield has been able to give you nine rebounds per game. Virginia currently has one guy on the roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game. That's Ryan Dunn, and he's been able to get her done. He's been able to supply the team with nine points, 6.7 rebounds per game. And both he and Reese Beekman are generating 2.2 steals per contest. It's a Virginia team that they have been so different with regards to their offense at home rather than on the road as well. For Virginia on the road, they're shooting right around 30% from three-point range at home, north of 40% from three-point range with Isaac McGeely being able to shoot 47.5% from three-point range overall this year. That bumps up to 53% when he's at home. Beekman has done a nice job being surgical with the ball, only 8.8 turnovers per game. Though Virginia, number one in the country in terms of fewest possessions per game, they still are a very efficient offense if you look at a per-possession basis. Top 25 in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis, and then you've been able to get 50% three-point shooting, darn near seven points per contest out of Leon Bond as well. I do think that someone like a Jacob Groves is averaging just 2.2 rebounds per game, but stands right around about six foot nine. It's going to be able to help the team out a little bit more on the glass. Louisville has been a bit better with their offense recently, 68 plus points in four of their last five games, but I do think that Virginia going to be able to really slow this game down, generate those turnovers, and be able to turn that into buckets, but I do think that with Louisville, their inefficiency on offense, that's going to cost you on this total. I did set my total at 127, so seeing 127.5 even as high as a 120.5, diving in on the under. Out of Virginia, one delay up to 16.5. With them, 687, 688 on the betting board, Louisiana Monroe is going to be playing on some Marshall. Marshall does find themselves as four-point favorites. Your total is 144 to 144.5. Did set Marshall as a six-point favorite. I'm going to be one delay this summer for Louisiana Anna Monroe. They have been one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. They are well outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, Marshall is always a team that ranks right around about the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. Marshall just has not been able to knock down outside shots. They're shooting 30% from three-point range. They lose their top two scores from the season ago. And Tavion Kinsey along with Andrew Taylor. So they've been looking down low to Obiana Onchele Killian, who's been able to give you 15.5 points, 6.5 boards, about a block and a half per contest. And you do get good rebounding out of Nate Martin as well with about 9.5 rebounds per game. And for a Marshall team that has always made their lifeblood really being able to generate these turnovers, they are only generating about 6.5 seals per contest. So that's a big time issue. Good news for them. They go up against a Louisiana Monroe team that they just can't find anything on offense. 332nd in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Nika, I can't even pronounce his last name. The guy named Nika on Louisiana Monroe because the last name has like 20 letters. 11 points per contest. Has not really been able to find his footing from three-point range, but provides a little bit of versatility at right around 6'8", six 6'9", foot six foot and everyone else on the roster gives you 9.2 points per game or fewer. You don't have a single guy on the roster that gives you north of six rebounds per game, so Marshall going to have the upper hand there despite the fact that Monroe is one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball, 13 and a half turnovers per game, so you've got a lot of issues on that front end. Though Marshall is a team that is not necessarily doing a ton well, they've been okay in terms of guarding the three-point arc at home, allowing opponents to shoot 33.8% from three-point range, so there's a little bit of something to be had there. I do think that Marshall is going to be able to get a little bit more moving forward out of Camden Kerfman, who was really a good outside shooter for the team season ago. He's been able to give you a little bit over three assists, 12 points per contest. You've got Kashawn Bulls, who's been able to give you 14 points per contest. Bulls, not a great three-point shooter. Kerfman, shooting about 33% from the outside after last year. 
he was much better on that front, and I do think that things are going to be going northward a little bit on that front, especially against a Monroe team that ranks about 209th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. So I did set this Marshall team as a six-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the four with them, and in terms of this total, I did set it at a 146. I do think that you get some late-game following, and both of these teams have been getting gashed quite a bit from the outside. So I'm going to be taking a look at this total over, and I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Marshall. I do think that they get their tempo in this game. 689, 690 on the bank board. Chattanooga It's going to be on the road facing up against Samford, and Sam I Amford is a nine-point favorite. Total on this game is 160 and a half. Did semi-total 158. I'm going to be looking at the under. Samford had a run of games where they were just getting to 100 on the regular that got bumped down a little bit a few weeks before Christmas when they played that game against Valparaiso. That was a little bit more calm, and now I do fi- feel like water is starting to find its level. This is a Samford team that, as well, they do a nice job of being able to take the ball away and underrated with the Samford team. They are allowing opponents to only shoot about 30.8% from three-point range when they're at home, and Chattanooga is a team that really relies upon hoisting it up from three-point range. So I do think that that's a little bit of a bad matchup for Chattanooga, though I did set my line at eight. Here at nine, even I'm seeing a 10 out there as well. I do think that we've went a little bit too far. I'm going to be willing to take the points. It is a Samford team that's had a lot of guys that have been in and out of the fold. And I do think that Sam Alexis for Chattanooga, being able to give the team darn near a double-double, 12-plus points, right in the neighborhood, about nine to 10 rebounds per game. He's going to be able to keep them lively in this affair. And you do have a Samford team that, while they do a nice job of being able to generate turnovers, and for this Chattanooga bunch, they have been turning the ball over north of 12 times for contest. That is a little bit of a concern that you do have to have with them. I do think that Chattanooga is going to be able to do enough with regards to their guard play to be able to hold in this game, as now you've got, for this Chattanooga team, reinforcements. Hunter Huff has been out there the entirety of the season. He followed David Earl from VMI and has been able to give you 16.5 points per contest, shooting 37% for three, but Trey Bottom, he had transferred in from Florida, was ineligible the first nine games of the season. He's back, and in his four games back, 16 points, three assists, 2.3 steals, five boards, shooting 36% from three-point range. That, I think, is very massive in this spot. You do have Anchor Anchor for Sanford. Very nice name. Six and a half boards, 14 points per contest, and you've been able to get back in the full Jermaine Marshall after he was missing for a few games. He's been able to do a solid job, giving you about 10 and a half points per game, but ever since his return, he has not really looked like himself in terms of scoring. The rebounding has been just fine. He's given the team eight rebounds per game in the last three games, but it's been after about six and a half points per contest. We've seen a little bit of a fall off there. That has resulted in the Sanford team playing a little bit more of a slower tempo. We have seen them be able to hold their lives to opponents to 65 points or fewer. Meanwhile, this is a Chattanooga team that's been getting quite gashed on defense. To say the least, they've given up 85 plus points in each other last few games for one of those games. was an overtime game against Milwaukee. It should have gotten the under, but game goes to overtime very miraculously. That was a little bit rough, and I do think that things in conference play could be all down a little bit more, and I do think that Getting back Trey Bonham for Chattanooga is enough to be able to keep them lively in this game. So I did set my total 158 here at a 160 plus, diving in on the under and with Sanford. Set them as an eight-point favorite, so won't take nine plus with Chattanooga. 691, 692 on the bank board. It is Valparaiso. They're playing us a Bradley, and Bradley does find themselves as eight and a half to nine-point road favorites. Your total is between 134 and a half and 136. I did set Bradley as a six and a half point favorite, so gonna be willing to take the points with Valparaiso. Valparaiso certainly doesn't do one thing well. This is not a bunch that is going to be competing for a Missouri Valley title or anything like that. But with this Valparaiso team, I do like that Darius Diviero has done a nice job of being able to dish out the ball. Very much pass for his guy. Only gives you about 6 points per contest, but right around about 5.6 assists per contest. It's a Valparaiso team that has had their issues being able to hoist it up from the outside, only shooting about 30% from 3-point range, but they've been able to find Cooper Schweiger to be able to give you about 30.5% 3-point shooting, 11.5 points per contest. Isaiah 
Isaiah Stafford. He's been able to give you 16 points, four boards per contest. I do think a big key for this team, can you get Jerome Palm going once again? At the beginning part of the season, he was actually doing a really good job of being up at the glass, give you some rebounds. He has really been relegated out of the lineup after he had eight plus rebounds in four of the team's first five games of the season. After that, he has not been able to record more than four rebounds in a single game set. So that has been a little bit rough, but you do have on the flip side for this Bradley team, a bunch that has been turning the ball over a little bit too much. Bradley turned the ball over about 13 times for contest. They also shoot 66% of the free throw line. That could very easily cost you a cover in this game. You've been having an injury to Connor Hickman as well. Hickman overall this season has been able to give you about 12 points per contest and did return in their most recent game against the non-D1 school in Truman College. Only played 16 points. Had two points. Didn't necessarily look overly effective, so I don't know if he's going to play his full allotment of minutes in this one. You do have Duke Dean, who's able to give you about three assists per contest, but the Bradley team that's shooting about 34.5% from three points. What made Bradley so lethal last season was the fact that they were able to do such a good job with their defense last year. They were a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and that's fallen off quite a bit. Part of it is due to playing some good competition, but this Bradley team is about 137th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Not to say that Valparaiso is some sort of a world beater on defense or anything like that, but they're more around 207th and at home. They've been giving up about 7.3 points fewer per 100 possessions rather than when they are on the road. Malevi Leon should certainly be able to hold it down, down low, 7 plus rebounds per game, so he should win that battle for Bradley against a Valparaiso team that's about 195th league average in terms of 3-point shooting percentage defense, but they're allowing opponents to shoot only about 30.5% when they are at home. I do think that that's going to be enough to keep them in this game against a Bradley team that has been a little bit disappointing, though. They've guarded the 3-point arc very well on the road, allowing opponents to shoot just 25.5% there. So this is a circumstance where I did have a total at a 134.5, seeing the 134.5, 135s that I'm seeing right now to 135 or higher. Looking at the under, and with Bradley, could only lay up to 6.5 points with them, so taking the points with Valparaiso. 693-694 on the bang board. It is South Dakota. They are going to be playing us to Eastern Washington, and Eastern Washington does find themselves as 5.5 to 6.5 point road favorites. Your totals between 154 and 155 and with Eastern Washington. So if them as a 7 point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. For Eastern Washington, they've got a lot of unsightly stats. They are a team that is well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. On the road, they're allowing opponents to shoot 38.7% from three-point range. But for Eastern Washington, they did play one of the most challenging non-conference schedules in all of college basketball. They loaded it up with a bunch of Pac-12 teams. I think there was a big 12 team or two out there as well. So I really admire the way that they challenge themselves. And they're going to be against the South Dakota team that really didn't do a lot of that. By the way, this is a part of the Big Sky Summit League Challenge. It's really awesome to see these in January. So I do think that this is going to be a lot of fun to take a look at just from a humanistic standpoint the next few days, but for South Dakota. Even though this is a team that they shoot it well from three-point range. They shoot about 37% from the outside. They do turn the ball over about 13 and a half times for contests, and they're really relying upon one guy, Liat Thione, to be able to win the battle down low. 13 and a half points, 10 and a half rebounds per game. You've only got one other guy on the roster that gives you north of 4.3 rebounds per game. Now, I do like what they're getting out of Caleb Stewart with about 14 and a half points, shooting 43 and a half percent from three-point range, and I alluded to it. Eastern Washington has had a little bit of a tough time guarding the three-point arc, but again, that was against better competition. You got for Eastern Washington, Jake Kyman, the former UCLA and Wyoming standout, who's been able to elevate this team in terms of his three-point shooting, shooting about 42.5% from distance as a six-foot-seven combo player. You've got Cedric Coward, who's been able to chip in their six boards, a steal 
per contest, and Eastern Washington in their own right has been able to shoot it very well from three-point range. You're shooting 37% from the outside, and I was alluding to Eastern Washington and their lack of defense. It's not like this South Dakota team is doing an amazing job as well. We saw them give up 121 points to UC Irvine earlier in the season. Now, for South Dakota, they're allowing opponents to shoot 24.1% from three-point range at home this season. Guess what? I do think that we're going to be seeing some massive regression on that front. This is a South Dakota team that, despite that, Gotti said, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're still 282nd in all of college basketball. Eastern Washington just seems to be really finding their footing. They've been able to have a lot of guys like a Dane Eric Strupp, like a Lawan Watts, who have been able to step up, give the team some rebounding. And for Watts, he's currently shooting 57% from three-part range. Certainly, we're going to be seeing that dry up a little bit moving forward. But for Eastern Washington, they come in playing their best defense of the year giving up 73 points or fewer for their last five games. 61 points or fewer in four of those games, alone exception, was when they gave up the 73 to Washington. Meanwhile, you've got a South Dakota team that has come in scoring 66 points or fewer to their last three games as well. Feels like after that 121-point outburst that they allowed to UC Irvine, they've really been taking a little bit more of a calm-down approach, so makes things very interesting here. I do think that both teams do get bumped up in terms of their tempo. I do think that this turns into a higher scoring affair. I did set my total 161. Looking at the over I think that plays right into Eastern Washington's hands. I'm willing to lay up to 6.5 with Eastern Washington and look at the over. 6.95, 6.96 on the main board. North Dakota It's going to be playing us to Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado in a pick'em game, and we're finding them in subspots as a one-point underdog. Totals between 150 and 150.5. Did set this North Dakota team as a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number when it comes to Northern Colorado. You've got St. Thomas, who's going to be the best overall player in this game. 70 points, nine and a half boards, dishing out about three and a half assists per contest, but he also does turn the ball over three times per game. Going up against a North Dakota team that has done a nice job taking care of the ball. 11 after North's game. Now they do only shoot about 30% from three par range. Main man from the outside has been Trayson Eaglesaf, who's been able to shoot 35.5% from three but with 14 points per game, but big for the team. Getting back to Tyree Ianacho began his career over at North Dakota, played for two years at James Madison, transfers back because he was a two-time transfer, was ineligible for the first 11 games of the season before that waiver kicked in, but still give the team 16-plus points in two out of his last three games. Be able to give the team about a seal and a half per contest. He really does elevate a backcourt that has had their rough goings shooting from three-point range. And for Northern Colorado, this team is always just relatively rough in terms of their defense. For Northern Colorado, this team is 352nd in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Not to say that this North Dakota team is amazing with their defense, but they're more around 222nd on that front. And for Northern Colorado, you do have a guy in Riley Abercrombie that stands six foot nine. He is of no relation to Fitz, but gives you about eight to nine points per contest. Shoots in the mid thirties from three par range. So he's able to help out St. Thomas a little bit on that front, but for Northern Colorado, just been pretty ghastly on defense to say the least. It's a North Dakota team that, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, are clocking in right around about 234th. But I do like what I'm seeing out of BJ Omad. He's been able to give you about 12.5 points, right around about 5.5 boards per contest with Northern Colorado having a few more turnover woes than what we're seeing with North Dakota. North Dakota done a nice job of being able to hold on to the ball and just not having a ton in there in the backcourt. Aside from DeJore Reeves, who has been able to give you about 15 points per contest, I do think that the over 
overall depth of North Dakota. Going to win out in a relatively tough place to get to in terms of travel. So I did set my line at 4.5. I'm going to be willing to lay it with North Dakota. Both of these teams have not necessarily been playing super up-tempo. And for North Dakota, they're playing a little bit better defense this year than they have in past years. So I did set my total at 144.5. Looking at the under and looking to take North Dakota on this pick line. 697-698 on the main board. North Dakota State going to be playing against Montana. Montana is a 1.5 to a 2-point road favorite. Your total on this game is between 143 and 143.5. And, and with Montana, I did set them as an underdog of 2.5 points. I'm going to be willing to take North Dakota State right on the money line. For North Dakota State, I do think that it is massive if they're able to get just a little bit more rebounding down low out of Andrew Morgan. He's saying 6'10", but has not really been willing to give you a bunch of boards as he's been playing a lot more from the outside, 10.5 points, 4 boards, and he is shooting about 38.5% from three-point range, but when it comes to this backcourt, you've got Tamari Wheeler-Thomas, Lonth Bowden, Skunberg, giving a combined 25.5 points per contest, a little bit over five assists, and for North Dakota State, they're shooting about 36.5% from three-point range. Now, for North Dakota State, they're also allowing opponents to shoot right around about 39% from three-point range, and it's 54th in all of college basketball, but for Montana, they allow opponents to shoot 38.2% from three-point range when they're on the road as well. Both of these teams have their issues on that front. For Montana, they're a very top-heavy team with the are rebounding down low. Lalu, okay, has been able to give you eight plus rebounds per game. Only guy in the roster that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. And I do think that Montana should see the tide turn a little bit with their three point shooting. Aiden Moody, Money Williams, that's a great name, by the way. I've been able to combine for 29 points per game. These two guys are combined to shoot about 30% from three, especially Moody, who shot nearly 40% from three. That should be taking upward a little bit. But we've seen some of these guys like a Brandon Whitney, a Josh Vasquez, guys that look like they were really going to emerge throughout their college basketball careers. They're combining for about 13 points per contest. Shooting combined about 33% from three-point range. Just expected a whole heck of a lot more out of them. And for this Montana team, they certainly have been doing a relatively solid job of being able to get points up on the board. 73 plus points in four of their last five games. They're going up against a North Dakota State team that they do come in on a three-game losing streak, but they had to play Southern Illinois, Illinois State on the road. This is a bunch that they allowed that 14-point game against Oak Hill Community College. So we throw that out of the fold. Pass that. They have scored 66 points or fewer in three of their last four games. And this is a pair of teams that they do play at a relatively slow tempo. I recognize that both of these teams will outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I do think that with North Dakota State, they're going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low. It's a Montana team that's really struggled from three, so they're not going to be able to take advantage of that main kryptonite that you do have in North Dakota State, so as a result, I did set North Dakota State as a favorite in the spot of two and a half points, so I'm going to be looking at them as a money line underdog, and going to be going with the under semi-tall at 136. I have 699, 700 on the betting board. It is Miami. They play us at Clemson. Clemson, a one and a half to a two-point favorite. Your total between 154 and a half and 155. Going to be willing to take the home underdog here. Did set Miami as a two-point favorite, so I'm going to be looking at them outright on the money line. Now with Miami, the trepidation that you've always got with this team is their defense. As in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it has not been so savory for this bunch. Clocking in right around 50th. A lot of this is due to the competition that they played. For Miami, they're giving up 29.3 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than when they are on the road. And that is a byproduct of the fact that they scheduled a lot of, shall we say, lesser teams when they were at home thus far this season. But I do think that for both of these teams, we're going to see a little bit of Coolidge from three-par range. For Miami, currently they're shooting 41.2% from three-par range. And for this Miami team, you've got out of their uh, top six scores, 
five guys shooting at least 40% from three. The lone exception is the 35% three-point shooting of no Chad Omier. I'm sorry, that's just not sustainable. And then for Clemson, this team has a collective shooting about 39.2% from three-point range. Out of their top five scores, you've got three guys shooting north of 45.7% from three-point range. I do think that you're going to see that cool down a little bit as well. The question becomes, who guards the three-point arc better? Miami, I feel like they've been a little bit fortunate on this front, but they're currently seventh in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage defense. Meanwhile, you've got a Clemson team that is still leaving a little bit of something to be desired. They're more around 102nd on this front, so I do have my issues there now. When it comes to Clemson, they're going to have a player in P.J. Hall that is just so hard to guard. He's been able to give the team about two and a half assists, two and a half blocks, 20 and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game, and Ian Shefflin down low has been able to do a tremendous job with his 10 rebounds per game, but I do think that no Chad Omir is going to be one of the toughest sets that he faces all year long. 17 and a half points, 10 boards, has really added a lot of versatility to his game, and then you're able to couple that with the fact that for Miami, you got Wuga Poplar who's been able to give you 16 points, and he's still shooting 50% from three-point range. Miami has had a little bit of a tough time turning the ball over 13 and a half times for contest. Clemson has been a little bit more efficient on that front with about 10 and a half turnovers per game, but with this Clemson team, they generate far fewer turnovers than this Miami team as well. Miami is able to generate about eight and a half seals per game. Clemson, only about five seals per contest, and with this Clemson team, we have seen them get cashed in two of their last three games, giving up 79 plus points. Meanwhile, for Miami, does feel like they're starting around in a form a little bit more, giving up fewer than 60 points in three out of their last five games, granted against a little bit of lesser competition, but I do think that with Nigel Pack being able to really take on this point guard spot very well, 4.2 assists at 2.1 turnovers per game, while you've got good scores in general for Clemson, like a Joe Girard, who's able to give you three and a half assists, he's been able to pump in their 15 and a half points per game. I think that the overall well-roundedness, for lack of a better term, of an Nigel Pack, good to be able to win out in this spot, so I did set Miami as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them outright on the money line. I do think that you're going to see a little bit of coolidge from three-point range out of both of these teams, but even with that, I do think that you get plenty of points in this game. Semi-total 158, looking at the over, and Miami are right on the money line. 701-702 on the bang board. It is Northern Arizona. They have third face-off against Omaha. Omaha does find themselves as one-and-a-half to two-and-a-half point favorites. I'm seeing a three out there as well for Omaha. Total on this game is 145-and-a-half. I did set Northern Arizona as a three-and-a-half point favorite. I'm completely opposite here. I'm going to be taking a look at Northern Arizona outright on the money line for Northern Arizona. Lots of trials and tribulations with the team thus far this season because Carson Tout, their main low post player and a guy that was legitimately one of the best passers from a season ago, has been out of the fold, but they've been able to do a nice job of mixing and matching as Oakland Fort, Jaden Jackson, both gave you about 9.8 to 10 points per contest. They've been able to do a nice job combining for about 4.5 assists per game, and Ford is now shooting 37% from three-point range, and then you've been able to get just a little bit of everything out of Liam Lloyd. Lloyd, not necessarily a dynamic score with about 8 points per game, but a little bit over a steal, four assists, four and a half rebounds, shoots in the neighborhood about 31-32% from three-point range, and they get to go up against an Omaha team that has a guy in Frankie Fiddler that might be the best overall scorer in this game with 17 points, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range for a bunch in Omaha that, to their credit, they're only turning the ball over about 11 times for contest, so they've got the leg up there, but it is still a Nebraska-Omaha team that they get completely crushed on defense night and night out. 267th in the country. There's points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 19.9 points more per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than on the road. So that's a little bit of a concern for this team. If had J.J. White be able to give you a few assists, seven points per contest, but it's not been the facilitator that he was a season ago for Omaha. They're just a little bit rudderless on that front. They don't have a single guy that gives you north of 2.3 assists per game. Markel Sutton is the only guy that gives you five-plus rebounds per game as well. And Carson Basham, who comes over from Pepperdine, should be able to win that battle 
down low. Five boards, eight points per game. Not a guy that's going to give you any sort of versatility or anything like that, but has been able to do a relatively solid job with his shot blocking. Northern Arizona has been trusting in him just a little bit more, and for Northern Arizona, they have been a little bit rough, hot and cold in terms of their three-point shooting, and going up against this nebraska Oma team, I think it's really going to be able to help them out. nebraska Oma has been a team that's been giving up about 40% three-point shooting at home, and for this Northern Arizona team, no doubt about it, this is a defense that's still outside the top 200 in terms of overall points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they've shut down the three-point arc themselves, and with Basham being able to win that battle down low, that allows Northern Arizona to have the leg up in this game, in my opinion. So I did set Northern Arizona as a three-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line, and did something total 141-half. Got a pair of teams not necessarily playing up-tempo, especially Oma. They're now outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, and I do think that you're going to see some clunky three-point shooting out of both of these teams. So looking at the under in Northern Arizona, all right on the money line. 7-3, 7-4 on the betting board. It is Villanova. They play as Xavier. The X-Men do find themselves as 6-half to 7-point underdogs. Total on this game between 139 and 140.5. I did set Villanova as a favorite of 7 points. So here it is 6-half. I'm going to be willing to lay with the Villanova team that has been a little bit all over the place this season. They brought in quite a few transfers, but it does feel like things are starting to translate onto, onto the court, and it does feel like these guys are meshing with one another, and Villanova, as always, does a little things well. Only turning the ball over 10 times for contest, shooting 81.9% at the free throw line. It's been a little bit up and down in terms of production that you've gotten out of Tyler Burton along with Eric Dixon, but these guys have been very good on the glass. They've been able to combine for about 14.5 rebounds per game now. Nobody else outside of them gives you north of four rebounds per game. It's Lanceware. It's been a big disappointment for this team, but even when they've been without Justin Moore this season, they've been able to do a rock-solid job. As a matter of fact, since Moore went out of the fold in that game against Kansas State a few weeks ago, the team has won three straight games, and the defense has looked better than ever, giving up 66 points or fewer in all three of those games. Meanwhile, for Xavier, the offense has really been able to get going. The team has now been able to get to at least 74 points in four of their last five games ever since they played against Houston, and Houston, as we know, this team does a really good job of being able to bear down, but for Xavier, it does feel like they're just a little bit too reliant upon their two main guards. Desmond Claude, Quincy Alvary, these two guys have been able to combine for about 33.5 points per contest. They both give you about 4.5 to 5 rebounds per game, and Alvary has been able to shoot 43.5% from three-point range, but it's very clear. This is not the same Xavier team that we saw a season ago. They're shooting about 33.5% from three-point range as a collective, and for Xavier, in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, 179th in the country. This does drop off by about 14.5 to 15 points when they do at the road. Villanova, they themselves are more around 95th in this category, but Villanova has been a little bit better defensively this year, and for Xavier, they've had to slow down a little bit. They're now outside the top 80 in terms of total possessions per game, and they don't do necessarily the world's greatest job down low. Abdul Usman has been able to give you a block and a half, six and a half rebounds per game, but is the only guy in the roster that has really been able to give you north of five rebounds per game. Both of these teams do have their liabilities when it comes to both the offensive side of things and the defensive side of things, and for Xavier, they've done a nice job being able to guard the three-point arc, but they've been a little bit more prone to giving up shots inside the arc for Villanova. They've been a little bit more rough on the outside, but on the inside, they've actually been pretty sturdy with Tyler Burton being able to hold up there, so it is an interesting stylistic battle in this one. I did set my total at 141. I do think that both of these teams do start to find a little bit more on offense, even though Villanova is a slow and controlled team, like what I've been seeing out of them, and I do think that we are going to see that Villanova defense regress a little bit. Feels like they've gotten a little bit fortunate in this recent run. I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be close enough for late game falling. So, we're going to have the over. Now, Villanova willing to lay up to 6.5 with them. 
705, 706 on the betting board. It is Indiana, and they hit the road. They're facing off against Nebraska. Nebraska does find themselves as a favorite of five points. So on this game, in between 151 and 151.5, I did set Nebraska as a six-half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay it. Rink Mass most likely going to be out of the fold for this game. You've got Rink Mass most likely coming back, I would say, mid-January is what I've been hearing the reports of his return. But even without him, I think that this Nebraska team is going to be fine. You've had Bryce Williams do a nice job of being able to take hold of this offense, giving you a about 13 and a half points, shooting in the mid 30s from three par inch. Just Nebraska as a whole, they only shoot about 33% from three par inch, but they're doing the little things better this year. They're only turning the ball about 11.2 times for contests. They're shooting 74% at the free throw line. And while this defense is not going to be mistaken for like the 85 Bears, they're 31st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And right now, defense is eluding Indiana, 174th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And for Indiana. Good signs coming from Mackenzie and Bakbo having a nice last game for this team. Malik Renu, he was really able to go off overall for the season. 16 points, 5.5 boards per contest in that game against Kennesaw State. He had 34 big points and Khalil Ware continues to be a dominator down low. You just have nothing to speak of in this backcourt. They've been dealing with the injury to Xavier Johnson who's been on the fold since late November. That guy just has not been able to stay healthy. So, as a result, Trey Galloway is pretty much the only backcourt piece that is averaging north of 3.5 points per contest. This is a team that's right now playing like a forward, forward system. So you've got Trey Galloway who's able to give you about 11 points per contest. Last year shot really well from three. This year shooting less than 28% from three. Granted, required to do Indiana, only about 12 and a half turnovers per game. I actually thought it would be a little bit worse given what has happened with them. And for Indiana, they have been able to score quite a bit more. 71 plus points in four of their last five games, but this defense has become a literal sieve. Meanwhile, you've got a Nebraska team that has been able to hold up at the point of attack on defense. So do you points or fewer surrendered in three of their last four games. Much of that has been without rink bad, so they were able to do a solid job on that front. It is a Nebraska team that has been looking to play quite a bit more slowly under Fred Hoiberg in recent years. I do think that they're going to be able to bring that defensive intensity and with all the big men that you do have for this Nebraska team, you do have some like Juwan Gary who's able to give you about seven boards per contest even though he hasn't necessarily been a feature guy. Josiah Alec has been able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. He's able to give you a little bit of facilitation as well as a six foot eight do-it-all sort of player. I do think that Nebraska going to be able to get it done, match up very well with Indiana down low, and I do think that their backcourt leads them to victory. I did set my line at a 6.5. I'm going to be one of late with Nebraska, and did set my total 146.5, so also looking at the under. 707-708 on the betting board. And it's Northern Iowa in the road face off against Missouri State, and Missouri State does find themselves as favorites of 2-2.5 two two points with your total 144.5, and, and I did set Missouri State as a favorite of 6.5 points. So, this is the spot where I'm going to be one of late with Missouri State. Missouri State has been a little bit inconsistent thus far this season on the offensive side of things, and even though they have cranked up the tempo, they're actually more efficient on defense this year. A top 60 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis going up against a Northern Iowa team that has been highly inconsistent on offense, but they have been very consistent on defense, and by consistent, I mean consistently bad. 256th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They've had Bowen Bourne be all over the place with regards to his offense. Now, the good news is he has been able to find his footing a little bit more. At the beginning part of the season, I don't know if he was dealing with an injury or what, but he was not good. He's not been able to give the team 13-plus points in each of the last five games, and a combined seven turnovers in the last five games, so that's very nice to see. You've got Nate Heisey who's been able to give you 15 points, five and a half boards per contest, shooting 42% from three-point range, but this team just needs more on the glass from Jacob Hudson. He's saying six foot eleven, but only gives the team right around four rebounds per game. You've been looking more to like Titan Anderson, who's been able to give you six half rebounds per game to be able to hit the glass. It is a Northern Iowa 
team has been a little bit top-heavy in terms of their offensive production, though they are shooting about 37.5% from three-point range. Now they have to go to a Missouri State team that has been able to do a good job with Donovan Clay, giving you a double-figure amount of points at 6'8", shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, gives you four-plus boards, gives you right around four assists per game as well. So this is going to be one of the toughest sets all season long for this Northern Iowa team when it comes to Missouri State in terms of their three-point shooting defense, 12th in the country as well. I think that that is going to be very costly in this one. You've got a Missouri State team that they themselves, they do get a little bit sloppy with the ball. They're turning the ball over right around 13 to 14 times for contest. That has been a bit of an issue for them over the last few years in general, but I do think that having Elsa Mason be able to supply 18 points per game is big. He's shooting about 40% from three-point range. Along with Clay, you also get about six boards per contest out of Chance Moore as well. Once again, a little bit of a top-heavy team, but NJ Benson being able to control things down low I think is going to be big for Missouri Missouri State team that, while they don't force a lot of turnovers, they just play good, tough man-to-man defense, and I do think that Missouri State, with their defensive style, going to be able to win out quite a bit more in this spot. I did set my total at a 144.5, so going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move. I'm seeing one or two straight 145s, and at that point, I would be looking at the under, but with Missouri State, I do think that their defense wins out. Want to lay the number with them, and at a 145 or higher, looking at the under. 7 to 9, 7 to 10 on the bank board, it is Weber State, and they're going to be playing us to South Dakota State. South Dakota State does find themselves as a 6.5 to a 7.5 point underdog. Totals between 140.5 and 142. And with South Dakota State, I did set them as an underdog of three points. I'm going to be one to take those points with South Dakota State. They leave a ton to be desired. They are 347th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this is always the South Dakota State team that is going to be able to dial it up on offense. They still have quite a bit of good outside shooting, and you've got two of the better overall mid-major players they're going to find in all of college basketball. You've got Zeke Mayo on one side, and then on the other side, you've got Dylan Jones. And with Dylan Jones, he has been Mr. Do-It-All for Weber State. 18.5 points, 10.5 boards, 4.4 4.4 assists per game. Zeke Mayo leads in all those categories as well for South Dakota State. 17 half points, 6 half boards, 3.3 assists per contest. Mayo has turned the ball over a little bit more as Weaver State has actually done a really good job taking care of the ball with only about 10.5 turnovers per game. They go up against the South Dakota State team that is out turning the teams over a little bit more though as well on defense with Charlie Easley giving 2.7 steals per game. He along Luke Capel both shoot about 41% for 3 with 11 points per contest. You've been able to get some really good outside shooting as well. 46 from the outside out of Tanner Tesla as well. So you've got a lot of outside shooting when it comes to South Dakota State. Meanwhile, for Weber State, you do have that one main man that has been able to help out Dylan Jones in Steve Verplanken. 12.5 points on 40% three-point shooting. Everyone else is just there to pretty much provide support, I guess you could say. Alex, too. 7.5 points, 3.8 rebounds per game. He's the only guy outside of Jones that averages north of 3.6 rebounds per game for the team. So it is a Weber State team that they really come and go with Jones and Certainly Mayo sets the table for South Dakota State, but at the same time, I feel like they can survive even if he's having a little bit of an off day. Meanwhile, if Jones is having an off day, it really is ghastly. Now for Weber State, they are a far better defensive team than South Dakota State in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is a Weber State team that has been clocking in in the top 25 when they've been at home this far this season, 83rd overall. But for Weber State, they've been having some good three-point shooting luck. We certainly saw that when they took on the two Montana schools. Feels like South Dakota State, after they gave up six 61 points against North Dakota. They're starting to find their footing as well.
well. I do think that Weber State going to be able to get it done. Their defense is quite a bit better, but I do think that South Dakota State stuff is going to allow them to be able to hang in this game. So I did set my total at 137. I do think that this is going to be a bogged down slower game, especially with Weber State. 343rd of the country in terms of total possessions per game. South Dakota State, they themselves have been slowing things down quite a bit. So going to be taking a look at the under. With Weber State, can only set them as a three-point favorite. So going to be willing to take the points with that under. 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. It is St. Bonaventure. They hit the road. They're facing off against VCU. And VCU does find themselves as a favorite of four and a half points. So it was between 133.5 and 134.5. I did set VCU as a favorite of five points. I'm going to be willing to lay this summer. Big reason why I am on VCU in this one is that reinforcements have come in for this team. As for VCU, they had to survive the first eight or nine games of the season without Joe Bajmili along with Sean Bearsow. Both of these guys are back. And both of these guys in their games back are combined to average 31.5 points per contest. And Bejmili has been able to shoot 38% from three-point range. Three-point shooting should be able to come along for Bearsow. He actually followed his coach Ryan Odom over from Utah State where a season ago he shot 38.5% from three-point range. Shipped in their five boards, two and a half assists per contest. So it's going to be a nice table setter for this team. You've got Max Jolgo who's been the main constant thus far this season for VCU. 16 points, four boards, four assists per game. And for VCU, they've been able to do a relatively solid job on defense. They're not going to be mistaken for some sort of world beater on defense, but they're a top 95 team. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, St. Bonaventure should have a little bit of a like up there. St. Bonaventure, in terms of their points allowed on a per-possession basis, clocking in right around about 87th and for the Bonnies. This is one of the most experienced teams in all of college basketball. Micah Adams-Woods has been able to do a nice job, giving you about 14 and a half points per game on 50% three-point shooting, and as a matter of fact, each of your top three scores for St. Bonaventure that made at least one three thus far this season, shooting at least 41% from the outside, but they've been dealing with some injuries to Charles Pride. Was able to return last few games and has not necessarily looked like himself since returning. A combined 24 points in the team's last three contests overall for the season. Everything a little bit over 11 points, six half boards on 40% three-point shooting, so that should cause for a little bit of a cautious approach with this one. Meanwhile, for St. Bonaventure, you do have Chad Venning. He's been able to give you a little bit over two blocks per contest. Down low, he's been able to do a solid job of holding up at the point of attack. Flip side for VCU. This is not a team that is generating turnovers the same way that they did eight seasons ago. And they have been turning the ball over about 13 and a half times for contest. But ever since they've gotten their guys back at the fold and Bishmili along with Bearsow, this offense has just been completely different. And as a matter of fact, you want to date it back to really the beginning of the month of December. This team has been able to score at least 75 points and now each other last five games. So they're really getting things rolling there. Meanwhile, for St. Bonaventure, this team has just been pounding teams into oblivion in terms of their defense. They have now allowed 65 points or fewer in each other last seven games. And since opening night, they have allowed north of 67 points just twice this far this season. They allowed 70 to Canisius. They allowed 77 to Auburn. Pass that. This team has passed every single test defensively. The man known as Jan Farrell, I think it's like Isam Isamovich or something like that. He's been able to give you about five and a half boards per contest. So you certainly have a VCU team that's finding their footing on offense against the St. Bonaventure team. That's been able to do a tremendous job on defense, but I do think that VCU getting the lift from the backcourt and this being a little bit of a nip and tuck game does play into their advantage. I do think that this is going to come down to some late game following VCU. They're starting to crank up their tempo. I think that that wins out in this spot. I did set VCU as a five-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the four to four and a half with them. I did set my total at 139, so why not the over to go along with VCU. 
TCU. 7-13, 7-14 on the bank board. Rice, we give our Delane Kiffin go Owls. We have third face off against Tulane, and Tulane does find themselves as a favorite of 8 points. Your total on this game is between 162 and seeing as high as 163.5 out there as well, and I did set my total at 164.5. I'm looking at the over. We've got a Tulane team that's playing at warp speed right now. They are a top 10 team in terms of total possessions per game, and they go up against a Rice team that, while they have slowed down quite a bit thus far this season, still not a team that you necessarily want to be trusting in too much on defense. Rice well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and this is a Rice team that is getting cooked from three-point range, 282nd in the country. In terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, it is a Tulane team that is 234th in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage as well, so both of these teams are giving it up from the outside and when it comes to this Tulane bunch the biggest key for them is just finding a little bit more depth because they have been dealing with a few ailments, they've been dealing with a few guys that have been in and out of the fold and Jalen Forbes who last year was a 16 plus point per game score has been a little bit ineffective this year but Kevin Cross has become one of the most versatile players in all of college basketball being able to log 70 points, 8 boards, shooting 42.5% from 3 point range. All in all it is a Tulane team that's shooting about 34.5% from the outside. You've been able to get a little bit of re- Rebounding out of someone like a Kobe King, who's been able to give you about four and a half boards, two and a half assists, 15 and a half points per game, and four two lane. The lifeblood of this defense generating turnovers. 10 and a half seals per contest while they themselves only turn the ball over about 11 and a half times per game, which is a marvel considering how quickly they play. Rice has done a good job protecting the ball themselves with about 12 turnovers per game, and they've got a very hard to guard big man in Max Fiedler that doesn't step on and shoot threes, but 4.8 assists, 10 points per contest for someone that stands right around about 6 foot 10, 6 foot 11. Meanwhile, Travis Evie along with Makai Mason combined to shoot only about 29 to 30 percent from three. I do think that that's going to rise up quite a bit. Both of these guys are mid to high 30s, three point shooters. You could use a little bit more out of Sam Ilajiki, who comes over from Cal along with Elam Husinovich. He's a 6'4", a little bit of a combo player that began his career at Nevada. Both of these guys are only giving you about 5.5 points per contest, so do need to see a little bit more there, but that said, when it comes to this two-lane team, I do think that they're going to be able to cover this number. I do think that this is going to be very much an up-and-down game, so I did sell my total at 164.5. I'm looking at the over with Tulane, all the versatility and the way that they generate turnovers. I do think it's going to win out, so I'm going to be one to lay this number, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 715, 760 on the banking board. It is Ido, and they're going to be playing us to St. Thomas. St. Thomas is a road 3 to 3.5 point favorite. Your total is between 131 and 131.5. For St. Thomas, I did set them as a 5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. For St. Thomas, this team, ever since they have joined the Division I ranks, has been one of the slowest ones in all of college basketball. While they've always been a relatively efficient offense, what was ailing them towards the first few years that they joined the D1 ranks was their defense, giving up a whole bunch of points, and now St. Thomas has been able to put it all together, because in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're now clocking in in the top 100, going up against an Ido team that is relatively slow and controlled themselves, but just not quite the same team on defense. 240th in the country with this regard. Now, I will say this about Ido. They're giving up about 19.6 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than when they are on the road, so they do have a nice little advantage there, and it is hard to get to Moscow, Ido, so that is only something that needs to be factored in, but even though this St. Thomas team doesn't necessarily have a lot of rebounding, they're a team that they do a really good job of just playing tight and together as a collective. You got Parker Jorklin, Juan Threed, Anthony, but able to combine for 24.5 points. Both give you about 4.5 to 5 rebounds per contest, and they both shoot north of 39% from 3. The St. Thomas team has always been one of the best at not turning the ball over 9.8 times per contest is how many times they turn it over, shooting about 36.5% from 3-point range. You've been able to have Kendall Blue be able to give you about 9.5 points per contest, as well, and then you've got an Ido team that they just don't get a lot down low either. Julius Mims has been able to give you seven rebounds per game. He is the only guy in the roster 
that gives you north of four rebounds per game. So that main kryptonite that you do have with St. Thomas not having a ton down low, that is not going to be unearthed. You've been able to have Quinn Danker be able to do a really nice job of being able to supply offense for this Idaho team as well. He's been able to get to at least 13 points so far in the last five games, shooting about 34.9% from three-point range, but this is an Idaho team that they do leave themselves very susceptible from the outside as well. This is a St. Thomas team that while they have been a bunch that has been known to give up a few threes over the last few seasons, they've been able to work on this quite a bit, 110th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, you've got an Idaho team that they are still getting gashed from the outside, 338th with this regard, even at home. They're allowing opponents to shoot 37.1% from distance, and that allows St. Thomas to get the job done. I did set St. Thomas as a five-point favorite, going to be one to lay the number, and did something total at 133. I think that even though it's going to be a low-possession game, we're going to see the efficiency of St. Thomas take over. So, looking at the over I'm going to be willing to lay with the Tommies. 717, 718 on the bang board. It is UMKC, and they hit the road to face off against Sacramento State. Sacramento State, as they pick them to a one point favorite, totals between 137 and 138. And with Sacramento State, did set them as a favorite of four points. I'm going to be willing to lay this number for UMKC. This team is supposed to be a little bit of a slower, grimier team under Marvin Menzies that hangs their head on defense. And despite that, UMKC outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Away from home, they're allowing opponents to shoot 37.7% from three-point range. I will say, Sacramento State, not as advertised as well. This is another team that is supposed to be a little bit slowed down. It's supposed to be a relatively good defensive team. And for Sac State, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, this team is hovering right around about 315. So you've got a pair of teams that are really disappointed on that side of things. But I do think that for Sacramento State, their overall size is going to be able to win out in this one because you had Allen, David, and Becca Jr. for UMKC last year. Supplied the team with about 7.5 rebounds per game. Was doing a perfectly fine job down low. Sounded more like 4.5 to 5 rebounds per game. They've slashed his minutes. I have no idea why, but it's something that has really been causing this team to not be as stout down low. Meanwhile, for Sacramento State, you've got Duncan Boom Boom Powell who's able to take over the game. He gives you a little bit of everything coming in from North Carolina. AT 13.5 points. Sign boards, 3.3 assists per contest. Has been just a constant for this team. Had a triple-double in a game about two to three weeks ago. Meanwhile, for UMKC, Jamar Brown has been entrusted in running a little bit of everything for the team. 13.5 points, 6 boards, sitting in the mid-30s from 3 point range, and he's had a lot on his plate ever since Anderson Kopp went out due to an injury. He's out until further notice, and that was the number 2 score for this team. Now you've really got two guys that are fully healthy that are giving you north of 8 points per contest for this UMKC team. Brown has been the only guy that's been able to log north of 5 rebounds per game as well as a UMKC team that at a relatively slow tempo turns the ball over about 13 times per contest. Now for Sacramento State, they themselves have some massive turnover woes as well with about 16 per contest, but Z Harmoda who comes over from Utah State shoots about 40% from 3. Shipped in there about 13 points per game. Brandon Benson only shooting about 32% from 3. We saw him at Tulsa last year shooting more in the neighborhood about 40% from the outside, so I do think that that's going to be picking up. Now for Sacramento State offense has been a big issue for the team against the one competition. 61 points or fewer in each of their last four games, but for UMKC, they themselves in their last four games against the one competition, they have scored fewer than 70 points in three of those games as well, and their defense has been acting up as against the one competition, they have now given up 70 plus points in three of their last four games. So, good old situation of something's got to give. A pair of teams I've been very disappointed by in terms of their defense. I do think that that'll be rising up a little bit more here, though, as I did set Sacramento State as a fair for four points. I'm going to be one to lay the number and did set my total at a 136. So, also going to be diving in on the under. I think that both of these teams get back to their roots. 719, 720 on the betting board. 
start, it is NC State, and they're going to be on the road facing off against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame does find themselves as an underdog of four and a half points. Your total on this game are between 136 and 137. I did send Notre Dame as an underdog of five points. Four and a half is the absolute max. I'm going to be willing to lay with NC State, but I'm going to be willing to lay it with NC State. This bunch has been able to do a really nice job in NC State of just being able to execute the little things. One of the top teams at all of college basketball in terms of fewest turnovers per possession with 9.3. They shoot 35% from three-point range, and they've been able to get some reinforcements on the way with MJ Rice coming over after being a top 75 recruit over at Kansas. That's an SC supplied a ton for the team. He's only been able to give you about five and a half points per contest, but that's a nice cog to have and someone that could be able to to develop moving forward to help out an NC State core that has four separate guys averaging at least 12.3 points per contest. CJ Burns, your main big man, five boards, 13 points per contest, and then DJ turned it up horn. So we able to shoot 44.5% from the outside, 15 points, three assists per game for an NC State team that is right in the top 35 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Now they're going up against a Notre Dame team that they're dealing with prosperity. They were able to get that big win against Virginia, one that they horribly needed as this Notre Dame team has just been getting gashed in so many facets of basketball outside the top 200 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. And to their credit, Notre Dame, about 174th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Haven't essay done a bad job there, but they've been dealing with quite a few injuries for one and two. They just got a lot of young guys in general with Marcus Burton having to lead the way with about 15 points per contest. You don't necessarily have ideal size with his team. Kiba Njai followed Michael Shrewsbury over from Penn State. He's only been able to give you about three and a half to four boards per contest. So J.R. Kozenzi has been able to really have to take hold of things down low for the team. He's been able to give you about six rebounds per game. And Tay Davis, about eight points, five and a half boards per contest, but not a lot of versatility there. It's an Notre Dame team that they only shoot about 28% from three-point range. Feels like things are starting to come along a little bit for this Notre Dame team, but even with the outbursts that they had against Virginia, it has still been very rough sledding for Notre Dame in regulation because their game against Georgetown, that went to overtime. They have now scored 65 points or fewer in four out of the last five games, and if you want to date it back even further, you have to go with about five out of their last six games. Meanwhile, for NC State, this team hitting mock turbo with regards to their offense, 80 plus points in four out of their last five games, while they've given up 70 points or fewer in four out of their last five as well. So I do think that NC State even though Notre Dame is a little bit improved, they still get the job done on the spread. Bone delay up to 4.5 with NC State, and I did set my total at a 133 with Notre Dame, in my opinion, just having a little bit of an outburst a few nights ago. So I'm going to be taking a look at this total under, and I'm willing to lay up to 4.5 with NC State. 7.21, 7.22 on the betting board of UCLA. It's going to be playing us to Sanford. Sanford does find themselves as an underdog of between 3.5 and, and 4 points, and your total is between 138 and 139.5. I did set my line at two. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Sanford. Again, I really don't trust Jared Ass as a coach, but this is a UCLA team that may have been rough all season long. Defense is still fine for UCLA. UCLA is still a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. You've got Anabona. It's been able to give you 12.5 points, seven boards, right around about two blocks per contest. But for UCLA, they're shooting 30% from three-point range. Sebastian Mack has been able to do a solid job being able to supply about 14 points. Just ship in there about two seals per game as well, but this is also Sanford Bunch at as Jared Bynum, who's been able to give you between about six and a half to seven assists per contest, so he's been able to do a nice job keeping things relatively efficient for a team that has been based on low out of Maximine Raynaud, who's been able to give you 14 points, darn near 10 rebounds per contest for Sanford. This has been a team that has been a little bit prone to some defensive lapses for Sanford, 177th in the country in terms of 
opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, you've got a UCLA team that's more around 136th with this front end. Lazar Stefanovic just has not been able to get it going really too much for this UCLA team as well. 10 points, 6 boards comes in from Utah where he was really a nice designated guy with size that was able to pop it from three-point range. Hardly shooting above 30% from three-point range thus far this season. So that has been rough for this UCLA team. Meanwhile, for Sanford, you've also been able to get a little bit of production out of some unlikely sources as they're without to begin the season. The guy that really went off in that game against Arizona, Cannon Carlisle. Yeah, I believe it was like 25 career points before that game, and he goes off for 28. He's currently shooting 47.5% from three. You should see a little bit of regression there, but a few others like a Brandon Angel will be able to give you double figures. Michael Jones chip in there 11 points per contest. But deal with an injury to Spencer Jones as well. But all in all, this is a Stanford team that's got relatively good depth for UCLA. You've been not getting anything whatsoever out of the big man in Mara. 7'3 gentleman comes over from overseas and a day Mara. Only about 4.5 points per contest has become an afterthought for this team. So I do think that Stanford is going to hold them there in a game that I think is just going to be made really, really slow, yucky, and gross by this UCLA a bunch. We have been noticing Sanford being incredibly inconsistent with regards to their scoring, and they sort of go with a flow. If you play fast, they're going to play fast. If you play slow, they're going to play slow, and for UCLA, this team has scored fewer than 70 points for their last five games. So, just up my 12, 134, diving in on the under, and we'll take the points with Sanford, being them 2-point underdogs. 723-744 on the betting board, it is Montana State. They play us at Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts does find themselves as underdogs of between one point, and seeing them as a pick-up in some spots as well. Throw on game same between 142 and half and 143. It's not Montana State as a two-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take them as a pick em slash lay a very small number on them for Oral Roberts. This is still a relatively solid bunch in terms of their three-point shooting. Overall shooting about 37.5% from distance. Isaac McBride has been your main man shooting about 38% from three, 19 points per contest, and Jalen Bedford has been able to do a nice job chipping in there about six half boards, 14 points per game, but his team has now been dealing with an injury to Deshaun Weaver. He's been one of the team's top rebounders. Guy with size that's able to let it fly from three-part range. And if he's out of the fold, that does mean that Oral Roberts, each other top six scores that would be available for this game, are all shooting at least 38% from three-part range. Among guys have made at least one three this far this season, which is just absolutely wild. But we should see some regression coming in there. And for Montana State, this team is just very gritty, and their lack of size is not going to be exposed in this game because Robert Ford is right now their top rebounder. He's at about six feet tall, 13 and a half points, seven and a half boards, three assists, 2.8 seals. Shoots 41.5% from three. All in all, this is a Montana State team that they only shoot in the neighborhood about 31.5% from distance, but they shut you down from three-point range. At home, they're allowing opponents to shoot 25.6% from three-point range, and that truly is the way that Oral Roberts gets their points, by launching it up from three-point range. I think that this is a little bit of a tough stylistic matchup for this Oral Roberts team. Oral Roberts has actually really slowed down their tempo as well, and I will say this for Oral Roberts. They're allowing opponents to shoot about 42% from three at home. More of around 33.8% when they're on the road. You got Brandon Garaki though on the flip side for Montana State. He's starting to find some confidence at north of six foot eight, shooting about 35.5% from three-point range. Gives you four and a half boards. Shipped in there about 13 plus points per contest. You got Brandon Walker, the transfer from UT Arlington. They will give you about 13 points per contest as well. They've been dealing with Patrick McMahon being out of the fold for the entirety of the season, but they've been able to do a nice job of mixing and matching. And the guy that has really stepped up the most, Tyler Patterson, who's been able to chip in there about 10 points on 36.5% three-point 
Mike Finney has been a very streaky scorer to say the least, but I do think that with the way that Montana State guards the arc, with the way that Oral Roberts in general has been having some lapses on defense, giving up 77 plus points in four of their last five games, this is going to be a little bit of an issue for an Oral Roberts team that doesn't have a ton down low. So I did set my total at a 140. Montana State playing at one of the slower tempos in all of college basketball as well. So I'm going to be diving in on the under. And with this side, I'm going to be willing to take Montana and set them as a two-point favorite. 745, 746 on the betting board. It is Denver. They play as Idaho State. And Idaho State does find themselves as an underdog of 8.5 points. Totals between 153 and 154. And with Idaho State, made them an underdog of 6.5 points. I'm going to be willing to take the points. You've got a Denver team that is going to be able to dominate on offense. This is a Denver team that is a top 50 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis with Tommy Bruner doing absolutely exceptional work on the offensive side of things. He is towards the top of all of college basketball in terms of points per game with 24.7, averaging four assists with nearly 40% three-point shooting and has gotten to at least 22 points each of the last four games. He has gotten to at least 15 points in every single game thus far this season. Then Toki Tomano has been able to give you about nine boards, 17 and a half points per game, but it's a very top-loaded team. Jackson Brenchley, who comes over from Utah, he's been able to tip in there about nine and a half points, five and a half boards, and while he does give you some facilitation, really doesn't shoot it well from three-point range, and while Denver does a lot of good on offense, on defense, this team is just getting completely cooked. 322nd in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage well outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Idaho State, this team plays very slowly. They're outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game. Doesn't mean that they're great on defense. 283rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but actually giving up a full point less per runner of possessions on the road rather than at home, and the one thing Idaho State has been able to do, guard the three-pointer. When they're on the road, they're allowing opponents to shoot only about 30.2% from three-point range. For Idaho State, you've been able to get quite a bit down low as well. As Braden Parker has been able to give you about 13-plus points per contest. He's been able to log about five rebounds per game. You don't necessarily have the world's greatest backcourt with this team. Miguel Tomley, who comes over from Santa Clara, has been able to give you about two to two and a half assists per contest. And Malik Arrington has been able to chip in there for assists. Both of these guys are registering 10-plus points per contest. But I do think that with the way that Idaho State does play. They're going to be able to hold in here. You've got a pair of teams that are relatively wretched on defense, but for Idaho State, they look to slow things down. Denver, they're looking to play a little bit faster. I do think that Idaho State is going to be able to play a little bit more slowly. I think that teams are starting to figure out how to contain Tommy Bruner a little bit more. It is an Idaho State team, by the way, that scored 68 points a year in four of their last five games. It's a Denver team that they have now given up at least 80 points in four of their last five games, so something's got to give, and I do think that things get slowed down a little bit. Set my total 148 and a half, diving in on the under with Idaho State We'll take 7 plus with them. 727, 728 on the banking board. USC is going to be playing us Cal. California does find themselves as an 8.5 to a 9.0 dog. Totals between 152 and 153. And with Cal, I did set them as an underdog of 12.5 points. Going to be one to lay with a USC team that has been brutal thus far this season, to say the least. They're 6 and 7. This has been one of the biggest disappointments in all of college basketball, but we know that the talent is there. Isaiah Collier, Boogie Ellis, they've been able to combine for about 34 points per contest. Ellis is shooting 44% from three part range. It's a USC team that really does need to cut down on the turnovers. That's been one of the biggest issues for this team, 14 turnovers per contest, because they're shooting about 35% from three part range. And USC, once again, doing a relatively solid job with their shot blocking. You've got Joshua Morgan, who's been able to give you about two and a half blocks, shipping in there about five boards per contest, I will say. For USC, typically their home is down low, being able to control the boards. They don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds for him. You needed a little bit out of Vincent Iwachuku as a result. USC, about 157th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but 
For Cal, they're coming off of playing another double-figure lead against Arizona State. For Cal, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 236 in all of college basketball. And they do a relatively solid job on the glass as well. You've got two top-flight guys in Fardos Amick, along with Jalen Tyson, who able to combine for 36 points, nearly 18 rebounds. You've got Tyson giving you 3.5 assists per game, but also 3.8 turnovers per game. That's a top-10 mark in college basketball for the negative. They've been able to get Jalen Celestine back to the fold, along with Devin Eskew. These guys have not necessarily done a ton, and ever since they've been back in the fold, this team has been very rough in terms of their defense. You take a look at Cal, and they're just getting torched night in and night out in regards to their defense. 70-plus points rendered in four out of their last five games. And this Cal team has been able to do a little bit of a better job on offense as they've gotten two at least 69 points in every one of their last now six games. But that's that with this Cal team. With them not being able to hold up defensively, I do think that that's going to be an issue against the USC team that they've been a little bit over the place themselves. I did set my total at a 150.5. I do think that USC is going to be able to find a little bit more consistency with regards to their defense they themselves have had their issues. And both of these teams have played a lot of overtime sessions that have led to their numbers being a little bit warped, especially Cal. I mean, this Cal team has played multiple games that went to overtime. I believe that they are up to like two or three games that went to overtime. USC, they played that overtime game against Long Beach State, which certainly did make their numbers look a little bit more demonstrative than what they are. So this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the under and with USC willing to lay up to 12 with them. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting more before we get the extra games. This is some 29, some 30. As you've got Fresno State, they're on the road facing off against San Diego State. San Diego State, the Aztecs find themselves as a favorite of 17 points with your total between 137 and 137.5. I did set my line at 18. So 17.5 is the absolute max. I'm going to be willing to lay with San Diego State, but I'm going to be willing to lay it with them. San Diego State really starting to find their defense once again. They were playing quite up-tempo in the first month, month and a half of the season. Actually very much mirrors what they did a season ago. I have no idea why they were looking to crank up their tempo, but they've now found their home once again on the defensive side of things. They did give up 74 points in their most recent game against Gonzaga, but prior to that, 62 points for Fierce Renner in three of their last four games, and the offense has still been able to do a relatively solid job as for San Diego State. This team has been able to break at least 70 points in now four of their last five games, and you've got a Fresno State team that's much improved from three-point range. Last year, they were outside the top 275 in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Now they're shooting above 33% from distance. Donovan Yabs, Xavier Dussel combined for about 19.5 points per contest, but it's come at the cost of turnovers. 14.7 turnovers per game for a Fresno State team that really doesn't play super up-tempo, and you've got two guys for this Fresno State team that dominate down low. As you've been able to have Eduardo Andre 3000 give you about six half boards and north of the block per contest, and Anak Boyaki has been able to be your top rebounder, eight points, eight boards per game, but really nobody outside of that is able to give you north of four and a half rebounds per game, and I think they're going to meet their match against Jaden Ladee, one of the top scorers in all of college basketball, nine boards, 21 half points per game for a San Diego State team that's only turned the ball over about ten and a half times per contest. Now, Darian Trammell has only been able to give you about eight points per game. That has been rather unsightly, and that has been a hit-or-miss three-point shooting team for the San Diego State squad, but they're going up against the Fresno State team as allowing opponents to shoot 39.7% from three-point range when they're away from home. That is quite ghastly to say the least. San Diego State, they've done a nice job guarding the outside. They're still a top 30 team with this regard. We've re-sticks some waters along with Micah Parrish being able to combine for about 24.5 points per contest in the backcourt, having each of your top four scores for San Diego State, generating at least a seal per contest. I think the Fresno State going to be just stuck in the mud in this one. San Diego State has found their defense once again. They 
have found there. A little bit of a slower style of play, and I did think that they are just going to be able to go death by a million cuts against this Fresno State team. So I did set my total at 132. I'm going to be diving in on the under, and I'm going to be one to lay with San Diego State. Now let's set the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-511, It is Howard, and they play OC Yale. Yale does find themselves as a 5 to a 5.5 point favorite with your total between 144 and 145. I did say Yale as a 7-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. For Yale, we have seen quite a bit of regression with the defense last year. They are a top 35 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This year, they find themselves well outside the top 175, but they do get to go up against a Howard team that has been beating themselves quite a bit. Do love what Howard has been able to get out of Seth Towns. He has come back after being injured for about 500 years with 15.5 points, 7 boards, and does shoot 42.5% for 3. He's a 6'8", six 6'9", six little bit of a combo player, but this Howard team just continues to self-inflict wounds. About 16 turnovers per game. They go up against the Yale team that certainly has been having their issues on the defensive side of things, but for the Yale team, they still do a relatively solid job down low. Biggest issue for them, making 287th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and this is our team that as well has been having their issues from the outside, allowing opponents to shoot about 34% per three. That is 215th in all of college basketball. And for Yale, it is a little bit of a hole is greater than the sum of its parts. Sort of th- t- team, Bass Embeck is able to give you 13 points, three and a half or so assists per contest. And now Jake Wolf has been your top rebounder, giving you about eight and a half rebounds per game. There's just really nobody on this Howard team that's able to match up with that. Chai Odom has been able to give you double figures. He's been able to chip in there about four boards per contest. And then the Ivy League transfer himself. And Jelani Williams has also been able to give you about seven points, four and a half boards per contest, but this team is very reliant upon Towns to do a little bit of everything. You've also been able to get really good production when it comes to this Yale team out of the likes of Matt Noling, who's still been able to give you 10 points, four boards per contest. John Polidikas is able to shoot 40% for three for a Yale team that, while their defense has really slipped up, their offense more efficient than ever, 10.5 turnovers on 34.5% three-point shooting and having five different guys chip in their 9.5 points per game. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of an up-and-down game. Howard, once again, back in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game. So made my total 147. Looking at the over and with Yale, one to life to 6.5 with them. 3 of 6, 5, 13, 3 of 6, 5, 14. UNC Asheville plays us to USC Upstate. Upstate, a 9 to a 9.5 point underdog. Totals between 141 and 141.5 with Upstate. Did set them as an underdog of 8.5 points. So here at the 9 plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's a Asheville team that is going to have by far the best player out there on the floor. Andrew Pember, 18.5 points. Jabbed in there at 6.5 boards. Right around 2 blocks per contest. But you've also got Caleb Burgess who does a nice job doling out 5.5 assists per game. Going up against the USC Upstate team that it's been rough for them on defense. It's really been rough for both of these teams on defense as for USC Upstate. It's just even more magnified. 356th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got a North Carolina Asheville team that, well, they're a little bit better with their defense. They're still outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and truly are getting gashed from three-point range as well, which should be able to keep this team relatively lively as you've got Trey Barneau, who's been able to give you three and a half assists, 13 points per contest. Shoots about 32 or so percent from three-point range for Upstate. They're not going to be able to win the battle down low, especially with Nicholas McMillan for Asheville, giving you about seven boards per contest, but Amir Langlis has been up to about six and a half rebounds per game. Only guy in the roster that's giving you north of 5.1 rebounds per game, but for this Upstate team, they turned the ball about 11 and a half times per contest, shoot about 35 and a half percent from three-point range. You've had Floyd Radio come over from South Carolina State, and he's been able to shoot 45 percent from three-point range with this USC Upstate team. Still has been relatively rough on the defensive side of things for this team, but it does appear to be improving a little bit. 70 points of fierce 
surrendered in two out of their last three games. Meanwhile, you've got a Nashville team that they have been able to really hit the turbo with regards to their offense. 76 plus points in each of their last four games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of an up and down game, but I could only set my total more around a 148.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I'm just very surprised seeing this total at about a 141.5 with the way that both of these teams are well outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, especially Asheville being a bit more of an up-tempo team. But here at the 9 plus, going to be willing to take the points with upset to go along with that over. 306, 515, 306, 516. Winthrop is going to be playing us along with. Longwood does find themselves as a underdog of 2.5 to 3 points. Still on this game, between 139.5 and 140.5. Battle of defense versus offense. Longwood, a top 35 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Winthrop, very far from that, but Winthrop is a bunch that ranks in the top 150 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, and they're scoring about 13 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. I did set Winthrop as a 3.5 point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number at. While this Winthrop team, they still do leave quite a bit of something to be desired on defense. They're a whole lot better than they were a season ago. They've been giving up about 7.2 points fewer per 100 possessions this year rather than a season ago. And for Winthrop, I do think that they're going to be able to win this game based on what they've got in the back where you don't necessarily have a ton down low. Alex Zimmerman and his five and a half rebounds per game leads the way, but for Winthrop as a whole, they are shooting about 35.5% from three-point range with KJ Doucette really being a nice asset for this team. 13.5 points on 43.5% three-point shooting. Among players have made at least one three-four of your top five, shooting at least 37.8% from three-point range. You've had Kaysan Harrison do a nice job dishing out the ball, 4.1 assists to land around about two turnovers per game. And for Longwood, Waylon Amper does a really nice job of running the show. Five assists, 14 points per game. He does shoot just 16% from three-point range. And this is a Longwood team that, man, as a whole, have been turning the ball over about 12 and a half times for contests. They shoot in the low 30s from three-point range. And for Longwood, while they do many great things on defense, they're a relatively average three-point shooting defense, about 152nd with that regard. It has been Christmas for Michael Christmas. He's been able to give you about seven boards per contest, has been able to do a nice job as he and Simon Zapala both have been in that neighborhood, about six to seven rebounds per game. Zapala is a true seven-footer that comes in from Utah State. He's been able to get lots of good production down low for this Longwood team as of your top five scores, four of them have been able to give you at least four rebounds per game, but I do think that for this Winthrop team, having interchangeable parts in terms of being able to dish out the ball and with this Winthrop team being able to improve quite a bit defensively as well. For Winthrop, they've now given up 72 points or fewer in three of their last five games. You've got a Longwood team that certainly is starting to have their issues on offense scoring 70 points or fewer in each other last three. That allowed Winthrop to be able to hold serve on their home court, so I did set Winthrop as a 3.5 point favorite. One to lay the three with them, and did set my total 141.5. I think that we could get some late game felling laying this one to be able to push it over, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Winthrop. 3 6 5 17 You've got high point, and they're going to be on the road facing up against Radford. Radford is a favorite of a point. Totals between 146 and 147. I made high point the four-point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line, as I do think that they are going to be the high point in this game, but for Radford, the big reason why I just can't back them is that the defense has not been the same this year. They are a team that has been ranking outside the top 125 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Offense hasn't been too bad, especially at home. At home, they are generating right around about 20 points more per one hundred possessions rather than they have been on the road. And for this high-point team, they were just a complete wreck on defense eight seasons ago. Not like they've been amazing this year, but they're up to about 226th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis in Radford. 
while you do have Justin Archer, who's been able to give you about nine rebounds per game. High point, I think, has just a little bit more depth down low. They bring in Kamani Hamilton. He was playing over at Mississippi State. He's been able to give the team right around eight boards per contest, but you've also been able to get about seven and a half boards out of Jocelyn Bodu Bodu, who's only given you about five and a half points per contest, but does a good job holding it down down low. Also is the best rim protector in this game with two blocks per game. And then you've got on top of that Duke Miles, who's going to be the best facilitator in this contest. Four assists, less than two turnovers per game, 18 points per contest for a high-point team that you've got four different guys giving you at least 11.9 points per contest with Kisa Gifa, who's come in from the country of France, has really been able to do a nice job, giving you about three and a half assists per game, shooting 39% from three-pointers, just way too many weapons for this high-point team. Meanwhile, Radford, you do have a big three in the backcourt, Brian Antoine, Keenan Giles, a couple of Taquan Smith. These three guys combining for about 37 and a half points per contest. They all give you at least a seal per contest. And for Antoine, he does shoot 41.5% from three and for Redford as a whole, they do shoot about 38% from three-point range. We got a pair of teams that they shoot it really well from three-point range. And Redford, in their own right, they do rank in the top 75 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. But this is a high-point team that I do think is going to be able to overcome that. High-point has been a little bit rough with their three-point shooting defense. But I do think that they're going to be looking to the inside a little bit more. This is not a high-point team that relies exclusively on three-point shooting, unlike a season ago. And with Radford, just not doing what they have been able to on defense over the last few seasons. I do think that it is going to allow this high-point team to go on the road and get the job done. I did set my line with high-point being a four-point favorite. Going to be looking at them all right on the money line. And did set my total 144. So, also look at the under to go along with high-point on the money line. 306-519, 306-520. It is Chicago State, and they're going to be on the road taking on Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, a 16.5 to a 17-point favorite. And your total on this game, you're between 133.5 and 135. This is actually a back-to-back for Chicago State. I would have set them as a little bit less of an underdog than I did. I set this line at 15, so I'm still going to be willing to take the points with Chicago State. They're one of the few teams in all of college basketball that's actually very much used to this. And for Chicago State, they've really just been fighting for their lives last few seasons. Now, having to turn around and play this game after playing Kansas State yesterday, which it was a game that they actually remained quite competitive in. That is a little bit rough, but at the same time for Chicago State, I do think that they're going to have one of the best players out there on the floor, if not the best, and Wesley Cardin, who's been incredible going into yesterday. 18.5 points, 4.8 boards, 3 assists, has been really just a statue suffer for the team going into yesterday. 17 plus points in 4 of the team's last 5 games. Rebounding is going to be a little bit rough for the team, but you've been able to have Deshaun Corbett be able to chip in there some boards for contests, and what has really been the secret sauce for Chicago State being so competitive this year has been the turnovers. They rank in the top 40 nationally in terms of turnovers for on their per possession basis, and they go up against an Oklahoma State team that they turn the ball for darn near 14 times per game. Do like what Javon Small has been able to do for Oklahoma State. 15 half points, 5 boards, 5 assists, shooting about 45% from 3-point range, and he's been able to really fill in as Bryce Thompson has been working his way back from injury. Thompson should be good to go in this game as he's been able to shoot 43% from the outside with 12.5 points per contest, but all the size that you had a season to go with some like Amuse Cisse, the Boone brothers, that's all gone. Brandon Garrison has now been able to give you about 6 rebounds per game, so he stepped up in a big way on that front. And you get a little bit of versatility out of Keon Williams. Williams has come in after being a reserve last season. And it's been a nice little Swiss Army knife guy. Seal and a half. Three assists. Six boards. About eight and a half points per game. But it is a Oklahoma State team that it just feels like they don't necessarily do one thing great. They do everything 
okay. And this is a Chicago State team that they enter having scored 65 points or fewer in each other the last five games, but defense has been, certainly been able to hold up at the point of attack. Meanwhile, you've got an Oklahoma State team that they themselves have given up at least 70 points and now three out of their last five games. Oklahoma State has been able to crank it up a little bit more with their offense, but I do think that Chicago State, a team that ranks well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, especially with them having played yesterday. They're going to be looking to play a little bit more slow, a little bit more controlled. We saw them give a scare to Kansas State yesterday, and despite the back-to-back, I do think that Chicago State holds in this game. So I did sell my total at a 137. I'm going to be looking at the over with the way that Oklahoma State has been firing it in there from three-point range recently, but also going to be taking a look at the points with Chicago State. 306521, 306522. It is Presbyterian, and they have the red face off against Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern just find themselves as a one-point underdog to a pick-em, and your total is between 140.5 and 142, and with Presbyterian, I did set them as an underdog of 2.5 points, so here out of 1, I'm going to be one to lay it with Charleston Southern, slash take them as a money line underdog, because I'm actually finding them as a little bit of an underdog with Charleston Southern. This team doesn't do an amazing job on glass, but they're an okay team at being a blocky down from 3 point range, and they've got R.J. Johnson, who's really been able to get out and elevate this offense. 16 and a half points on 45 and a half percent three-point shooting and Charleston Southern as holes does shoot 36 and a half percent from three. They do protect the ball with about 12 turnovers per game. Now they are a team as well outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis but Tajay Kelly being able to supply eight and a half rebounds per game. That should allow this team to be able to win that rebound battle down low. That's a Presbyterian team that really doesn't have a lot of size. They've got one guy that's registering north of four and a half rebounds per game as they've been able to get nine and a half points, five and a half boards out of Jonah Pierce for Presbyterian. They really got hyped up after that win against Vanderbilt, but little did we know at the time that Vanderbilt was going to be a big giant stink burger this season, so that has hurt them quite a bit. Presbyterian, they do allow opponents to only shoot about 33% for three-point range, so they've been able to do a relatively solid job on that front, and when it comes to the Charleston Southern team, they've actually been a little bit more of an effective three-point shooting defense on the road rather than at home. For Charleston Southern, this team is allowing opponents to shoot overall about 34.7% for three. That falls to under 34% when they are on the road. You've had Marquise Bennett for this Presbyterian team, be able to throw in there about 13.5 points, two seals per contest, and you've been able to have Samaje Teal shoot about 45.5% from three-point range while being a double-figure scorer, but this is a Presbyterian team that is really lacking a lot of pizzazz with regards to their offense. When it comes to their defense, it's not bad, but it's not necessarily amazing, and I do think that it's a Charleston Southern team that on their home floor, having the best rebounder in the game, they're going to be able to control this one, so I did sell my total on 144.5. do think that you get some late-game falling with a pair of teams that are relatively pedestrian with regards to their defense, and on top that you've got a Presbyterian team that they've been able to exceed the 80-point plateau in three out of their last five games. Well, they have surrendered at least 76 points in three out of their last four games, and there's a Charleston Southern team that they themselves have given up at least 72 in each other last five. So looking at the over, and going to be one to take Charleston Southern as pickup slash a money line underdog, 306-523, 306-524. Bucknell is going to be playing us Holy Cross, and Holy Cross does find themselves as a seven-point underdog. Your total between 134.5 and 135.5. I did set Bucknell as a five-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take the seven with Holy Cross. Holy Cross, don't forget, began the season actually knocking off Georgetown. That is a loss that has been not so great for Georgetown to say the least, but ever since that time, this Holy Cross team has very much went downhill. They've got just three straight-up wins as far as the season, but they still have a relatively solid backcourt with Joe Octave leading the way, 15 points, six half boards on 35% three-point shooting. They've been dealing with an injury to Bo Montgomery, which has been very costly for the team. He's been out since early December, and especially with the team only having one guy that's giving you north of 5.1 rebounds per game, as you've got 9.5 at boards out of Caleb. 
Caleb Kenny. That's a bit of an issue, but it's not like Bucknell is necessarily dominating on the glass. You've got a pair of guys and Jack Forrest along with oh, Williamson, both giving you five and a half boards per contest. Williamson is a true seven-footer, but doesn't necessarily play like it, doesn't give you a lot of chop blocks, anything like that. It is a Bucknell team that also has been playing low tempo, and they're turning the ball over 14 times per contest. Both of these teams have really had their inefficiencies on offense. You've got a late cross team that has been getting completely cash on defense. They're 53rd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and while this Bucknell team has been better, not by too much. 297th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Jack Forrest has been able to shoot 39% from three-point range, and then you've got a 35.5% three-point shooter in Josh Basco, who's been able to give you nine points per contest, but even though Bucknell has a true seven-footer on their team, you've got a Holy Cross bunch at. They've been a little bit closer in some of their most recent games. On the road against Central Connecticut, they were able to give a nice effort there. Lose by two on the road against Harvard. Meanwhile, you've got a Bucknell team that they are just really hitting the skids with their offense. 63 points or fewer scored in each other last three games. Defense has looked a lot better. 70 points or fewer surrendered in each other last four games. So I do think that's going to be a slog for either of these teams to be able to score. It's in semi-total on 133, diving in on the under. With Holy Cross, won't take the seven with them. 3 6 5 25-36-5-26. American is playing out to Lehigh. Lehigh does find themselves as an underdog of two points. Totals 145. I did set Lehigh as an underdog of three points. I'm going to be one to lay with American. American last season was one of the slowest teams in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Well, we've really seen them crank it up and American, whereas they were turning the ball over north of 14 times for contests a season ago, they've done a nice job with more like 11 turnovers per game this season. Now, for American, it's not like they're super duper fast this year. They're still 326 in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but that's two and a half more possessions than they were playing at a season ago. And they get to go up against a Lehigh team that just doesn't do a great job down low. Don Perlin is the only guy that gives you north of 4.8 rebounds per game as Tyler Whitney Cindy along with Keith Higgins. They've had to be the main two scorers for this team with combined 29.2 points per contest. Bullshitty is similar, 35.3% from three-point range, but for Lehigh, 13.5 turnovers per game has been quite costly. Going up against an American team that they don't do an amazing job being able to generate turnovers, but this is a bunch that still shoots about 36% from three-point range, and they've got the most versatile player out there on the floor. Matt Rogers at 6'9", he's shooting 37% from three, 15.5 points, 6.5 boards per contest. You've also been able to have Elijah Stevens chip in their five assists to about 2.2 turnovers per game. Colin Smalls, he hasn't necessarily been as big of a producer as he was a season ago, but it's still able to give you about six points per contest. Has been able to do a nice job on that front end. For Lehigh, this team has been actually looking to really crank up their tempo, but hasn't really resulted in a lot more points. In games against D1 competition, fewer than 70 points in three out of their last four games. It's a bunch that has been playing a little bit better on defense, I guess. They have now given up fewer than 65 points in three of their last five games. I think that that speaks a little bit more to the competition that they're playing rather than anything else. And it is a Lehigh team that leaves themselves very, very much exposed for three-point range. They are in 12th in the country and opponents three-point shooting percentage allowing opponents in a roadside shooting court environment to shoot 38.6% from three-point range. American certainly has their woes on this front as well, but American, they are allowing opponents to shoot more like 32% from three when they're at home. So this is a spot where I did set American as a three-point favorite, willing to lay the deuce with them, and did set my total at a 145. This was an opener of 144.5. If we could get back to that opener of 144.5 or less, going to look over and going to be willing to lay with American. 3-6-5-27, Navy plays us Boston U. Boston U is an underdog of two and a half points with your total between one. 28 and 129 and a half. I did set my line at a 121 and a half. I'm going to be looking at the under. Navy has been one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. They're shooting less than 32% from three-point range, and neither of these teams has gotten anything going whatsoever on offense. When it comes to Navy, 
points scored on a per possession basis, 310th in all of college basketball. Boston U is 309th in the country. So you've got some issues there with Navy, though. I did have to set them as an 8.5 point favorite because I do like the way that this defense is firing. So I'm going to be one to lay the number for Navy. Certainly has been an up, down, all round sort of team as they don't necessarily do a great job of being able to force steals two years ago. I remember they were doing a solid job when it comes to this Navy team. What they do is they just get up in your grill. They play relatively good and just solid defense as they're giving up about 16.8 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than on the road and they're 44th in the country with this regard to the Boston use credit. They're in the top 130 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis but for this Navy team going up against a Boston U team that doesn't have a single guy that gives you north of 6 rebounds per game guarding the arc. Very paramount. Navy number 5 in all of college basketball in terms of opponents 3 point shooting percentage. You don't have really too many guys Guys are able to explode and have a big game in terms of scoring for Navy as the only guy that returned from last season that averaged north of four points per contest is Austin Inge, but you've been able to get some nice production, just up, down, all around in terms of rebounding for this team, especially with Donovan Draper giving you nine rebounds per game. Austin Biagini, only guy in this game really on both sides, give you double figures, 13 and a half points per contest. And for Boston U, you have been able to have Miles Brewster chip in there about 10 points. She's 37% from three-point range, but for Boston U, 12 and a half turnovers per game as a relatively low-tempo team, having about six rebounds and nine points per game out of Otto Landrum. Nobody else gives you north of 4.8 boards per contest. Boston U has been dealing with a few injuries in that front court as well. I think that this is going to be a grimy, just gross game in general from a Boston U team that, I mean, to their credit, they've given up 63 points or fewer in three of their last four games. It's an AV team that they themselves have really held up at the point of attack defensively as well. So, did so my total at a 124.5. I was saying 121.5. That's actually the Army versus Lafayette game, but still looking at a nice under. Set my total at 124.5. And with Navy, did set them as an 8.5 point favorite. So, going to be one to lay the number. 306.529, 306.530. Lafayette is going to be playing us Army. Army does find themselves as an underdog of a point and a half to two and a half points. Totals anywhere between 120 and 123. This was an opener of 118 and a half. Did some I told 121 and a half. Between these two options, a 123 under and a 120 over, I would rather take the 120 over just because I do think that you get enough possessions to be able to push it over. And because this is a nip and tuck game, you could always get the prospect of overtime as well, as ridiculous as that sounds. But in this spot, I did sell Lafayette as a five and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Army is just completely new look. Terms are back. Court, they had to replace our near everything from a season ago. You have been able to get about six boards, 13 and a half points per game. Uh, Josh Govins, but for Army, this team shoots 31 percent for three, less than 40 percent from the floor, 13 and a half turnovers per game. Because they have so many new look pieces, they've really had to slow down their tempo. Typically, this is a team that looks to play relatively fast, 313th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. And for Lafayette, the team is always relatively slow, 254th in the country in terms of total possessions per game for Lafayette. Not like they've been playing amazing defense themselves. Starts the points a lot on a per possession basis. This team ranks outside the top 200. They're 358th, by the way, in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Well, our good friends in Army are more around 334th in the country with this regard, but for Lafayette, you do have Eric Sonnenberg, who I do think is going to be a nice elevator for the team. He's been able to log 10 points on 43.9% three-point shooting, and among the team's top five scores, it's the only one that's shooting above 25% from three-point range, but true seven-footer Justin Vanderbond, I think he's going to be able to win the battle down low, eight and a half points, four boards per contest, and I do think that Kyle Jenkins, someone who a season ago was able to log about nine and a half points, six boards per contest, he's going to see a little bit of a rise up. He's only been able to give you about eight and a half points per game, so it's been a little bit rough on that front, but for both of these teams, they've been able to do a solid job holding up at the point of attack on defense. You've got an Army team that, in regulation, because they did play a game that went to overtime against Stony Brook, and in regulation, they had given 
up fewer than 70. So if you're looking at regulation and regulation only, last time Army gave up north of 70 points, you have to go all the way back to November 29th. Meanwhile, you've got a Lafayette team that they themselves have been able to get past the 70-point plateau in two out of the last five games. So something's got to give here. Like I said, at a 120, I'm looking at the over. If you get north of a 122, that is a point of no return. But at these current numbers, I would look at that 120 over of Lafayette. Made them the five and a half point favorites. So good to be willing to lay the number. And we do wrap things up with 306, 531, 306, 532. Loyola, Maryland hits the road face off against Colgate. Colgate is a 12 to a 12 and a half point favorite. Totals between 130 and a half and 132. Set so Colgate is an 11 point favorite. Here at 12 plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Loyola, Maryland. Loyola, Maryland has been very sloppy with the ball. Turnovers have been their bugaboo with nearly 15 turnovers per game. And you've been able to have a pair of guys, D'Angelo Science along Deion Perry, that have been able to give you 24 points per contest, but between the two of them, darn near five turnovers per game. But I do think that that's going to be a little bit different against the Colgate team that is one of the worst teams in the country at being able to generate turnovers. And we have seen this Colgate team fall in some rough times with regards to their defense. Each other last four games against C1 competition have given up at least 70 points and we're able to take that back even further. Each other last five games for this team. So that's been a little bit ghastly for a Colgate team that has ranked in the top five nationally in terms of three-point shooting percentage each out of the last three years. That's not going to be the case this year. They're shooting about 34% from the outside. Ryan Moffitt has been a nice combo player. He and Keegan Records both give you 9.5 points per game. Moffitt shoots 38% for three and Records at 6'10". He's been able to shoot about 40% from the outside. Braden Smith, though, just has to be looked to as a do-it-all player. He's the only guy on the team giving you double figures. 13 points, 5 boards, 5 assists. Shoots about 34% from the outside. And for this Colgate team, other than records, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 5.1 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for Loyal Maryland, got Golden DK down low, who's been able to give you about 7.5 boards per contest. Loyal Maryland does shoot about 33% from three-point range, and this is a Colgate team that they can very much be exposed with regards to their defense. We've seen it from them very much recently, and for Colgate, in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, they're about 144th in all of college basketball. For Loyal Maryland, this is not a team that necessarily does the world's greatest job of being able to guard the arc 223rd with that regard, but I do think that they're going to be able to hold up just enough here against the Colgate team that's just not the same offensively that they have been in past years. Both of these teams, though, they've been slipping up a little bit with their defense. Both of these teams, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, well outside the top 125 Loyal Maryland, right around about 247th and Colgate, after a relatively good start to the season, 194th with this regard. So I did sell my total 139, looking at the over and anything north of 11. Could be taking the points with the Loyal Maryland, and that will wrap things up for the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what I have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we are for those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at Jaden underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way sign an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. A big thanks to Tristan Freeman. Does great work over at Boston Brackets. Join me in the last segment coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And that does mean I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.